Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out! Here comes a Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, but he's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there! There goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night At the scene of the crime Like a streak of light He arrives just in time Spider-Man, Spider-Man Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man Wealth and fame he's ignored Action is his reward Look out, there goes the Spider-Man Watch out, Mr. Hodgson A streak of light He arrives just in time Spider-Man, Spider-Man Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man Wealth and fame are he's ignored Action is his reward to him Life is a great big up Wherever there's a playing up You'll find the Spider-Man! Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. Uh, I am Tim Elliott, and with me, as always is Brian Hughes, and according to the paper, he's either a menace or he's a hero. You will have to let you decide after listening to today's show. This is all because I didn't wipe my feet when I came in out of the rain. That's right. I'll tell you. I get no love around here. And it's that mask you wear when you swing around the city. I take it off a lot. I keep getting slobber all caught up in it, you know, when I'm trying to talk. Because everything sounds like this, you know, when I try to talk. <laughs> I sound like Andrew Garfield. That, that must be like, for any superhero, it'd be kind of like, oh, stuff like that, like, what? What are you, what are you saying? <laughs> it's funny because, you know, they've got Spider-Man masks up at the up at the store now in the toy section. Every time I go to the store with my son, we got to go by the toy section. And they've always got a, a new type of Spider-Man mask, and the latest one has got this cup right around the mouth so that you don't have to worry about any of the, you know any of that kind of stuff. It's just a plastic cup that goes over the mouth. And uh, I, I don't know what it's really supposed to do, but it keeps the, the jaw from moving, you know, which Spider-Man's costume does. Yeah. But still, <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. There's, there, there's so many different ones that they're putting out. Um, so there'll be something new, I'm sure, in a, in a couple months. What's going on? Uh, not a lot. We haven't... Uh... Well, we haven't recorded. Uh, well, we haven't recorded in a while. But our last was 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 it Wonder Woman? 
Yeah. Uh, right? Was it Wonder Woman? Um, golly. No. Uh, that, that doesn't, that was it? No, it wasn't. It was. We did Ego and. We did uh, Fantastic. We did. Uh, yeah, it was Wonder Woman, wasn't it? Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman in. Uh, that was um, June. That was like the third week of June, wasn't it? June. Yeah. Yeah, that was Wonder Woman. And yeah. So it's been. I mean, that it's been less than. A, it's been just over a month since it came out. Yeah. And then we did Ego, uh, Fantastic Four in May. The for Guardians. Night. And then, of course, it was February uh, before that we got a show out then. Yeah. But, so, uh, you know, I mean, there's been this, a lot going on, but hey, hey, we're here to stay. Yeah, we're, we may not be out every week like other shows, but uh, we try to give you a quality show every time. Yeah. So it's either you have quantity or quality. Some, some shows give you both at the same time. And, you know, the, today's show, of course, is a... Uh, a, I, I don't know that we can call it like you know like back to the bins they got their shameless coattails riding obligatory whatever um, we've got we're, we're basically you know doing our Spider-Man show since you know there was a Spider-Man movie that just came out did, that's you, right. ha- did you happen to go see it? I have I actually happened to see it with you that's right oh my gosh that is so <laughs> right you were sitting right there next to us yeah how yeah it must make it quite an impression you was <laughs> Hey, I've slept uh, since then, and I'm over uh, 50. I'm allowed. That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, we went and saw it together uh, on a Sunday, and my wife couldn't join us, but uh, I uh, I had a pretty good time. I think we both enjoyed it. We really hadn't had a chance to talk about it much. Yeah, I mean, we all really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because it's it is a Spider-Man movie. It had so many of the trappings of a Spider-Man story, and yet it stayed away from some of the things that were so common that you you were expecting them and then you didn't get them. I I don't know if some people felt disappointed because they didn't get Uncle Ben, J. Jonah Jameson, you know, just any of those, you know, other things. Daily Bugle, Peter Parker, you know, doing the whole, you know, photographer thing. Well, they'd left out uh, Jameson and the... Well, they catched that, I think, briefly in the the, uh, previous two films they didn't really have he was i think he was doing uh, web work or he was doing it work or something at the the bugle i think mm-hmm. in the the second amazing spider-man well that was like but, uh, that's like ultimate spider-man because wasn't he doing yeah, web work and he was doing way? yeah he was updating the web page or doing some kind of you know blogging or he was doing some kind of you know which makes sense he would he would be uh he would he wouldn't necessarily be taking you know traditional yeah. photographs but yeah uh, I I think that they're they're leaving it open so they can kind of build on that. They're certainly they've introduced. Um, who else did they introduce? Did they introduced Gloria Grant in the film. Uh, now I didn't see Gloria Grant. I mean, we did get Betty. Brandt, oh, Betty. Uh, Betty Brant. That's what I'm thinking. But she's not like any Betty Brant that we'd seen before. I mean, mm-hmm. she was at least the same age as Peter, if not younger. Um, and we will. We have always been led to believe in the comics that Betty was just a little bit older than Peter. Maybe she might have left high school early, but she was probably eighteen when Peter started working yeah, at Google. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, uh, and so you know, of course, it, it you you wonder because this girl looked like a child. She definitely looked like someone that had not matured yet, whereas right. Betty Brant had you know, kind of matured into a young woman where this girl, like I said, was still a child. And then, of course, uh, and I, I guess we'll have to throw the term spoiler 
out, though I'm sure anybody that's that, you know listening to this has probably gone and seen it by now, or maybe be one of those people that refuses to see it because it's quote unquote not their Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> is that you know the the whole MJ uh, storyline where they had introduced the character of Michelle, and at the end she says you know that she's MJ, which doesn't you know make sense to me, but. Again, I'm, I'm one of those that always wanted to hear on the screen, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. And we may never, we may never hear that. I, I, that's another kind of a sticking point for me. I didn't, I, I, I enjoyed the film quite a bit. There were a few uh, nitpicky points I had. That's, that's probably my biggest is that if that is going to be MJ, they're just handling it completely wrong. Uh other than that, I thought they did a pretty good job. Tom Holland certainly uh, embodies a Peter. He's a little, he's not quite as kind of a, he's not as quite the sad sack that Peter is, uh, especially, you know, in the early ones, he's just a little more of a, he's, he's, <laughs> he's just running over with enthusiasm. I mean, he is yeah. absolutely just, he can't wait to, to get into the, uh, you know, play with the big boys uh, in the superhero uh, gig. But, uh, and I don't like them being in an apartment. I know that's really nitpicky, but I, I would rather they, them be in a house and uh, somewhere. I mean, instead of a uh, an apartment. And I was kind of curious as to, and I, don't, I think you brought this up after you saw the film, or somebody did. I don't remember them ever using his spider sense throughout the film, no. or at least displaying it or showing that he had it. There, there was uh, in the um, Captain America Civil War uh, there were things that let you think okay yeah he's got spider sense yeah. but here there, they did not play that up at all and I, I think it, it's probably a good idea to let it take some time before it actually shows up or at least that he, he's able to use it properly um, that could be it he could be still learning or growing into his powers but you know at the same time that's how he dodged bullets, you know, as far as we knew. Did, did he get shot at at all just by regular guns? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't remember. He didn't seem to dodge the vulture much when he was right. He was coming at him. I don't – I've only seen it once. I did go back and see it again with uh, – because Fanil hadn't seen it. So. Yeah, well, I, I'm ready to go see it again myself because I enjoyed it that much. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't like his – I didn't mind the suit in Civil War, and I didn't mind the suit in the beginning of this. Yeah. But when it's taken away from him, okay, again, these are we've already said spoilers. This is some more major spoilers. When it's taken away from him, and Stark takes it back, and he kind of has to go with his kind of Scarlet Spider outfit. Yeah. But then he gets it back at the end, and he's got his own little AI, his own little kind of uh, Jarvis that uh, speaks to him in the suit. Mm-hmm. That's too. It's too uh, too much like his the Iron Spider suit that he got from Stark during Civil War in the comics. Right. Now, did you recognize the voice, or did you find out about the voice? I found out about there? it later. I didn't recognize it uh, during the, the film. No, it's uh, Jennifer Connelly, right? Right. And do, yeah. you, do you know what the what the the tie is between her and Jarvis? Uh. In real life, she is married to. Paul yeah. Bethany? Paul Bethany, yeah. I did not know that. I know she was married to him. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So, yeah. That, that's that was, very cool. I, I still didn't understand the significance of the name Karen. 
you know, I don't I don't know either. I don't know. Maybe that's. Uh, it, it's, some, it's not something that, at least from any part of the comics that I read, that there was any. Um, any. Uh, I, I couldn't recognize it from anywhere. No, I don't know. I don't. But uh, I, I'm kind of curious how that's going to play forward in the rest of the film because then he's kind of too much. I know they want him to fit into the Marvel universe, but he's too much. Too, he's too Iron Man. I want you know. I want Peter to, to be. I mean, they've established he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a smart kid in the film. Yeah. And I'd prefer if he kind of came up with, you know, maybe Stark lets him use one of the labs and he kind of comes up with that. Instead of him relying so much on Tony's gear, I'd rather it be more, you know, him producing his. You know, he built his own web shooters and he created right. his own web formulas. So when I let him. You know, he, he he needs a little bit a little more street level instead of having all this high tech stuff he's got. Yeah. Now I, I tell you, one of my favorite moments in the movie was one of those moments where he was swapping out his web cartridges, mm-hmm. and he just you know pops those out and gets the other ones in. It's just one of those little quick things that you know the some a regular moviegoer is probably not going to give any thought to, but you know those of us that have you know read the books throughout the year, we always you know it's always one of those things where. Okay, he's got to get that done, or he's going to run out. And you know, but he just pops them both out and does that. It's almost like he's popping a clip out of a gun. You know, mm-hmm. it's exactly what it's like. Yeah, and I, I, I just, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, I like, I liked his, uh, uh, and they demonstrate a little bit when he had his homemade outfit that the irises in his goggles would change, mm-hmm. and then the irises in his mask would change. Right, and that helps kind of him create an, uh, an emotion. You know, create a. Uh, an expression, yeah. which they do in the comics, and I, I absolutely be fine with that if they had that, that happen without them having to explain that oh these are actual a device that do, does that. Uh, I'm enough to you know I can suspend my disbelief enough to, that if they just did that to as a way of storytelling to let us know that oh this is what's you know why they do in the comics the same way that you know that. He's, well, I mean, if I remember right, in Civil War, didn't he tell Tony, you know, he had trouble with so much sensory input? That he did. He, had, he did that. Right. He used the mask to close in and focus him when he needed to to keep his eye on one thing or another. Maybe that's the spider sense. Maybe he is getting so much sensory input from his spider sense, he hasn't learned to shut it out or channel it or focus it. Exactly. That that's so that, that sounds like a really good explanation there. Yeah. And, so, uh, go ahead. It's a thumbs thumbs up for me, and I'm submit a thumbs up for you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know, the yeah. one the one thing I'll say, and I've, I've discussed this, I think, with Scott McGregor and others on on, on other podcasts, but um, as we got into tangents, you know, is that uh, looking at the future and with everything that they did there, you know, they brought in Donald Glover uh, playing Aaron, what's his name, the 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 Prowler. The Prowler. I thought that's the, the Prowler is Miles Morales's uncle in the Ultimate uh, line of comic books. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't. I, don't, I never read much and, of Miles. And he even said, you know, Donald Glover's character even says, yeah, you know, my nephew's in that neighborhood. And uh, so, uh-huh. you know, they, they made a reference there. What I think is going to happen, and this is, you know, discussing it with Scott. I think even Chris Tyler chimed in on this, and I, I hope I'm giving them proper credit here. Is because it, it makes perfect sense. Is that now in the in the ultimate line of comics? Spoilers if you haven't read them, you know, twenty years ago or fifteen years ago, whatever. Um, 
Peter Parker gets killed. Mm-hmm. And Miles Morales takes over as Spider-Man. And um, what I'm thinking they're going to do here is they're not going to kill Peter Parker, but they're going to have Peter Parker take over ultimately for Iron Man when Robert Downey Jr. is no longer going to be carrying on. Now, And I don't mean he's going to be Iron Man. He's going to be the Iron Spider or whatever, but he is going to become that lead tentpole character of the Marvel Universe. Then I'll have Miles take over as in the uh, street level the sp- Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, and that way they that. can they can give both crowds their their Spider-Man in one way or another, and so you'll be able to have that that you know the, the Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, and Ultimate Spider-Man. I don't know how they they're going to reference it into the movies when they make movies, but that seems to be a logical way to go. It made a lot of sense. That or introduce uh, who's the girl that's in the uh, Spider Boy? No, no, no. It's uh, Ironheart. Who's the girl that's now has a uh, a suit of armor in Iron Man? Oh, is I, it Iron Ironheart or something? There's a, there's a woman that's now Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, Iron I, Person. I, I've not been paying that close attention to what's going on in the world of comics today. It's, and it's it's you know like I, I just recently found out that the AT and T girl has been cast as Squirrel Girl. I heard that. And while I know nothing about Squirrel Girl, that still sounds like perfect casting. <laughs> I don't know what she's going to be in, but... Uh... Uh, there, I, I, I'm trying to remember what that's going to be from, because they're creating a like a champion, like a champions-type group. The cha- Is it the champions? I'm not sure. Like, See, something now, like I, that. I, I'll have to look it up. New Warriors. Marvel's going to make a New Warriors That's movie. right, that's right. Squirrel Girl... Mr. Immortal. So and, John, and, John Byrne's going to be getting some credit here. He's got to get some credit there. Because he created Mr. Immortal from the West Coast Avengers. Yeah, from yeah. He's like with the Great Lakes Avengers. Right. And, and Speedball. Speedball. I knew Speedball was going to be in it. I'm kind of curious what his costume's going to look like. I Yeah, that's... it's uh, yeah, yeah, we will, we will have to see. I, <laughs> Oh, man. Let's talk uh, quickly, since we didn't talk quickly about it. Uh, Quickly, uh, your impression of the Justice League trailer, the new one. You know, I'm looking forward to it, but I I can tell that that they are pulling out all the stops to get this one to be huge. They want this to be big, bigger than anything Marvel's done. It's going to be huge. And, you know, there's uh, you can tell, and there's new stories out today. That you know they're they're really giving it a, a very uh, a, a strong eye, trying to make sure that everything's being done right. They know they're spending extra money on it right now with Josh Whedon and the reshoots, and there's reshoots going on right now. With Whed, Josh Whedon is with helping jo- out with reshoots. Oh yeah, okay. So maybe you don't know this. Um, I mean, you know about what happened with Zack Snyder's child, right? Uh, his his daughter, yeah. his daughter committed suicide. Oh no, no. And oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, and so they brought in Josh Whedon. To finish editing the movie, and oh, I did not Whedon, know that. And then they said, you know, after the other trailer, hey, we might need more to this. And so they've been doing reshoots. They've been adding extra things. They've been adding more humor, and they've been changing some things. So they're 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 actually making changes to the movie, much like what apparently they did with uh, Suicide Squad. With Suicide Squad. But I think you know. That, with, that didn't work out too well for him with Suicide Squad. Yeah, but that's because you still have the same person doing all the changes. True. Well, what I thought the it? studio took care of that. Well, but the, again, right now, the studio has got Joss Whedon. 
doing this. It, but isn't Whedon going to slate it to direct... Uh, Batgirl. He's, yeah, he's, Batgirl. He's going to direct Batgirl. But this takes place... This takes precedence over anything else he's going to do. Because they're, they're basically giving him the keys. And saying... Well, well he's going he's gonna to marvelize it, I guess. Take it and, and do with it what you did with the Avengers. Make everybody love it. You know? Well, it... It... Of course, Superman v. Batman looked, from the trailers, looked cool. But this looks like it's kind of full of a lot of empty fighting. But then and... I, that, that the reason that it looks like it's a lot of empty fighting is simply because of one thing. With Batman, cool. v, with Batman v. Superman, they showed iconic imagery that you had seen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You go to the average person and you ask them about the Batman v. Superman trailer, they didn't recognize that from Dark Knight Returns yeah, or whatever, but you did. And so therefore, you know, you had uh, some preconceived notions and some anticipation built up on Batman v Superman for it to be something other than what it ultimately turned out to be. Yeah. I do, uh, I do like, I love the fact that J.K. Simmons is playing Commissioner Gordon. I'm yes. assuming it's Commissioner Gordon. Yes, he is. Uh, and I still think, uh, Jer- uh, Jeremy Irons is Alfred is a is, is a great ca- bit of casting there too. I the only thing I really don't like about it is I don't like the Flash, I don't like his costume, and I don't like the actor playing him. And I don't like the from the few scenes we've got of his comic relief, I don't like that tone of humor. That seems very forced. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, I kind of like I, I I like that one line he had about I'm just a guy that runs really fast and pushes people. I I thought that was interesting. But I saw in the other preview, they're definitely uh, making this Flash a Flashpoint uh, Flash. And we're getting enough Flashpoint from the TV series, but that's just my opinion. Well, I think the next film, his first solo film, is titled Flashpoint. Yeah, well, that, they, so, just, they just announced yeah. that today, yeah. I think. Yeah. Is, is that what that's going to be? And I like Ezra Miller as an actor. I've seen him in The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and of course, he was in Fantastic Beasts uh, and Where to Find Them. Um, He's, he is a, a good actor. I didn't like the way that they had him representing Flash uh, in, in any of the, the previews or the little snippets they showed in Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree there. The the can I keep this thing of him or that's an oversimplification? I thought that was interesting, but I already know a Barry Allen, and I like that Barry Allen. And so I'm, you know, it's it's it's. I think that they're. You know, they've got the right to give us whatever Barry Allen they want, but this isn't a Barry Allen we've ever seen in the comics, in cartoons, in anything. And so, you know, it's a departure away. Again, with Marvel, Hawkeye is nothing like the Hawkeye that we know from the comic books. True. Um, you know, there's, I mean, the, the Black Widow even is, is very different from the Black Widow that we know from the comics. It's, you know, there's a, a lot of liberties they take with some characters, and Flash is going to be one of those characters. But, you know, the thing is, nobody's complaining about what they've done to Aquaman. And they basically made Aquaman the underwater Conan. Mm-hmm. But who happens to listen to heavy metal, drink Jim Beam, and, you know, say, I dig it. He sounds, <laughs> but, he looks a bit like they're trying to make him the Thor character. He's a little 
the Thor character stepped in out of an episode of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 funny that way, but at the same time, I, again, do you get the feeling they're just trying to distance himself from the the orange shirted Aquaman that you know? Everybody well, of course, yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to they're trying to distance him from fifty years of of being perceived as a joke so they're trying to to keep him away from that so they're trying to make him a little more edgy a little darker yeah. a little uh, uh a little more of a, a hothead kind of a um yeah. well and i say this the underwater scenes and maybe it's because it's not finished the underwater scenes didn't look all that great of him no 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 none of the underwater scenes had been truly impressive though the one that was in batman v superman you could tell he was holding his breath Mm-hmm. And the the ones that they showed of him in in Atlantis, and he's floating up on someone. It just it look, look, yeah. it doesn't look good. But maybe maybe as we get closer to the movie, as they clear up the CGI, and they yeah, that's probably not a, that's probably not a finalized shot. And uh, my guess is he will be out of the water more than he's going to be in the water. Yes, he's going to be. He'll be out. Uh, with his trident doing his you know doing his thing. But well, his action sequence looked really really cool. Where, where he's fighting the parademon and takes him down the side of the building. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this, because you know, I'll get a clear shot. Is the uh, is the guy that, that kind of lands, and you see mostly in silhouette, I don't think you ever see his face. It looks like he's got horns. Kind of, is that supposed to be uh, Darkseid? The main villain they're showing? Yeah. Is, no, it's Steppenwolf. Okay, so and, I don't know. If I'm not familiar the, with that character. If you watch the deleted scenes from Batman v Superman... They uh, actually had a segment where Steppenwolf shows up in the Kryptonian uh, spaceship. Is he a Kryptonian? Or what is he? No, I don't. I don't have any anything about him. Steppenwolf is from Apocalypse. Okay. He is, is he one of? One of, one of is he like Apocalypse? Guys. Is Darkseid's minions or is yeah, he? Yeah, he's one of Darkseid's minions. Oh, okay. Okay. And so yeah, he's he's the the, the precursor to Darkseid, and so that's why you see the uh, the other parademons and such. Uh, that show up, that have shown up. Yeah, I knew that. I, I figured those are parademons because we saw those in Batman v Superman. But I just didn't. I didn't because I, I thought, well, if they've read it, this is Dark Side with these kind of almost galactic type horns coming off. It's like they've really uh, now the question redesigned is, him. The question is, who is been who's been sending the information to Earth? Who's been sending the dreams to Batman and Luther and the others? Is it Beautiful Dreamer? Is it Amazing Grace? Is it glorious Godfrey? Someone has been getting all these people affected by the fact that Darkseid is coming. And the, the, the question is, who's doing that? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. I don't... It, it is it a warning or is it a harbinger? <laughs> uh, my guess would be the latter. Mm. All right, what, again, real quick, what did you think of Thor Ragnarok? The, ex, the little extended uh, trailer we have that shows... Uh, you know, it, it just looks like a lot of fun. Doesn't it? It looks like a hell of a lot of fun. And I love that little segment where Thor and the Hulk are sitting there and they're just talking. Yeah. And <laughs> Hulk like fire. <laughs> I mean, it was just, uh, uh, yeah, the whole the whole trailer was, was really, really enjoyable. But it, I, I was also worried that the whole trailer was kind of giving away the whole movie. It they, might. They I mean, it's a progression it's, uh... of things. And it looks really, really cool, and it is just far out. There was one segment where they show both Thor and Loki 
pulling out their guns and firing. And it, it, I, didn't, I didn't like that. That was too kind of space opera. It, like, no, it was video gamey to me. Yeah, let's let's have swords. Let's don't have a lot of uh, uh, laser fights or, you know, I know he doesn't have his hammer, but let's don't resort to, uh, you know, whipping out blasters and... Uh, but I thought... I, I agree. I think the... Uh, the Talking Hulk is interesting that they're gonna that they're gonna have because we haven't we haven't had a really a speaking Hulk. Not not much. I mean, he mm. said he said one or two things here and there. Very brief, but not we had not not this is this is what everybody thinks of as the Hulk. You know, you know, self-referential. You know, Hulk this, Hulk that. But was that Lou Ferrigno? Um, is, is what I, I don't know. I thought this. I thought it sounded. I wonder if they were just modulating. Uh, Ruffalo's voice, which they could have been, because that's what they did in Avengers. Yeah, but in like I the think... Hulk movie, the Ed Norton Hulk movie, when the Hulk says "Leave me alone" at the very beginning mm-hmm. in the in the soda factory, and at the very end, Hulk smash. That was Lou Ferrigno. Ferrigno. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I hate no disrespect to to Ferrigno, but he because he he is hearing impaired, he has that accent that hearing impaired people have, and I think that would be hard for them to if he's reading much in a way of dialogue that to they'd have to eliminate that i think yeah i i, I i've always I wondered know. how they did that but you know still because they always sounded clear enough that they didn't seem to have that accent but yeah you know that being said uh no that 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 trailer just looks like a whole lot of fun and how cool is that last scene where you see uh, that's got to be Suter, right? Oh yeah, that's Suter. Suter. <laughs> yeah, that looked badass. <laughs> now let me ask you: Have you looked at any of the bootleg copies of the Infinity War trailer from Comic Con? Uh, no, I haven't. I I saw a little bit of it. It's really bad quality, but man, that just looks badass. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not on. It's not released officially. If it this was released is, at Comic Con, this is one of those things that really, and I'm gonna say it really pisses me off. Is that you know when when they sit there and they show something at Comic Con because, like Batman v Superman, they had the the sequence where Batman goes, "Do you bleed? You will." Mm-hmm. They showed that at Comic Con. It did not get released out to the web for at least three months. And there's no reason to hold it back. There really is no reason that's, to hold it that's back. How they, that's how they get people to go to Comic-Con. And apparently that's how the people get to go to the movie the first week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, eventually we'll get to see, you know, the, a full Infinity War trailer. But it uh, definitely made good use of the Guardians of the Galaxy and a, a number of characters. But it's just like, whoa, whoa, is, is, is he on a spaceship right now? And whoa, whoa, what's he doing? You know, it, <laughs> So there was a lot there, and then the Thanos, um, the image of Thanos looked like he was not wearing any kind of hat or helmet or anything, and it looked like he was bald, and it just looked like a very unusual looking Thanos. That's weird. Yeah, because I'm always used to Thanos having some sort of skull yeah, cap. Yeah, he's always got his little skull cap thing on. Or, yeah. or, or something on. So yeah, yeah. That, looked, that looked a little weird. It did not look like uh, as much like Josh Brolin as he did in Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians. But, you know, again, it would, who knows what it's going to look like when it actually does really hit the, the web. True. Um, and, you know, but we'll see. And there's a poster out there, too, but the poster looks like what he looked like in the trailer. So maybe that's what they're what they're going to go with. But, and that may be an unfinished, if that may be, 
an unfinished rendering of him. You know, that's I'm sure those effects are not uh, nearly complete. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Is yeah, that, is that everything? Is that everything that? Uh... That's enough. We need to kind of. I think we need <laughs> yeah. to under our uh, our wall crawler here. Yes. Okay. So uh, let's take a little break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to cover Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, number 58. All right? All right. We'll be back in two and two. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, And we're back. And yes, we are. So, this month we're going to cover, since you know there was a Spider-Man movie in the theaters, we're going to cover Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, number 58. Now i got to ask you, did you read this when you were younger, or is this something you read more recently? This is, uh, I, it, it was read it was, as when I became a collector. I didn't, I didn't read any, really, any comics at all when I was young. I didn't start collecting until I was 18, so... Not, all of this was. This is just when I started collecting. Uh, I started collecting Spider-Man pretty early because that became my my go-to character. So I don't know when I, I picked up on this, but I was trying to collect all the um, the back issues of uh, Peter Parker. But so it, it probably I read this probably, eighty-five, eighty-six. Okay. Sometime around that area, maybe. Now I I um, started reading Spectacular Spider-Man um, actually was able to sit there and pinpoint that particular issue when I started collecting, and that was uh, issue 39 is, what, is when I started collecting Spectacular Spider-Man, the source of the mm-hmm. Schizoid Man. And that was uh, before, I believe, Roger Stern was on it, and actually Bill Mantelow and uh, John Romita Jr. were doing the book that day. But when Roger Stern started writing... Uh, on there uh, not too long after uh, I think it was issue 49 um, around then is when, when he started writing on it and uh, you know just I I didn't know one writer to another but I, think I it's did 40, 43 I think okay, I think he when, started with 43 with Mike Zeck oh, okay but when Roger Stern started writing it I was really starting to enjoy it and you know they were bringing in they, they were making use of all these side characters and I was like, wait, who are all these people? Who's Deb Whitman? Who's Marcy Kane? Who's, you know, because I my Spider-Man, you know, the way I started with Spider-Man was, of course, you know, there was the cartoon from the 60s, the Bakshi cartoon. I think that was my introduction to Spider-Man as a little boy. And then um, in the the late 70s, my mom worked at the mall and I would go up to the mall and hang out and uh, there was a bookstore there. And they would, uh, 
give me the pocketbooks that they would uh, rip the cover mm-hmm. off of. They're supposed to throw away. And they had Spider-Man and Doctor Strange Digests, uh, the, the pocketbooks. And they'd have like 15 issues in one pocketbook. So like 15 issues of the first 15 you know, Amazing Spider-Mans and the yeah. first 15 Doctor Strange. And so I was able to sit there and read those and learn. And that was just, you know, the lead Ditko Spider-Man as you're supposed to read them. Of course, real tiny. So it was like, uh, you know, because it was a, the size of a regular paperback book. It wasn't like a right. Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of those. Anything. I love those though, because I I got so much of my Spider-Man history from reading those um, before I was actually reading the regular size comic books. But then I started picking up Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Marvel Team Up, and sadly to say, Spidey Super Stories. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no web in there. Web well, web didn't start uh, until after uh, Marvel Team Up when that went out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just talking about at this particular point oh, in okay, time. Oh, okay, okay. And so, but I was reading all this, and if you remember, Frank Miller was doing the covers to a, a lot of these. So it's like it's just gorgeous stuff. And then Walt Simonson did one or two, and just amazing stuff that was coming out. I think Ed Hannigan also got to do a bunch of them. Now, this particular issue, um, the holes are very interesting distinction. Well, the, the issue before this one, uh, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man 57. And that was where Spider-Man went up against Killer Shrike uh, to save Jonah's uh, fiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, that was a Roger Stern story with none other than Jim Shooter himself doing the layouts, light pencils. Shooter did a lot of the books uh, at bookend of this. He did a lot of the ones before and a lot of the ones after. I had never ever seen uh, this was the first time I'd ever seen Jim Shooter had actually done pencils on anything I knew he'd written stories he'd done plenty of legion of superheroes and superman and stuff like that you know when when i was growing up i could pick up a, a superman comic and see shooter's name in there not knowing that he was really not that much older than us he was a teenager when he started writing legion yeah yeah i didn't well he's, he uh he's like i didn't know kid, he was he's an the, artist at all yeah he's the cameron crow of the comics industry because you know how cameron crow started writing for rolling stone when he was 15 if you ever watched the movie, all the same is it's autobiographical mm-hmm. of Cameron Crowe. Well, didn't Shooter create the parasite for DC? Uh, I believe so. And of yeah. course, when he had Spider-Man and Superman get together in the second Spider-Man versus or Spider-Man and Superman team up, uh, the parasite was and Doctor Doom were the villains that they went up mm-hmm. against. And uh, that was uh, I that was the first time I'd seen that one of their team up books. I missed the first team up book when it came out. Um, but uh, still, I, I love that when the Hulk punches Superman, puny Kate man. <laughs> Stupid puny Kate man is what yeah. he said. That's right. Anyway, uh, but this one, this this book that we're doing, it, it's one spectacular Spider-Man issue that Byrne does, and Roger Stern, of course, writing it. Now, of course, they teamed up again for Captain America. Uh, they also did, of course, Marvel: The Lost Generation. But what? Uh, oh, and uh, JLA Classified. Where do you know anywhere else where Byrne and Stern teamed up on a book? They together? did. Um, he worked on Cap. Uh, he also did. Uh, well, after, soon after this, he went on to do his kind of not a long run, but he did kind of very respectable run on Amazing. Yeah, Roger, uh, Roger Stern. 
But he did uh, Amazing Spider-Man 206 is also John Byrne art and stern writing. Oh, okay, that was okay. a year. That was about a year before this. That was back in July of 1980. That's the one where Jonah has all the little Spider-Man jumping around his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, now let me let me give the specifics on this book because the the specifics are even interesting too. Uh, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man number 58. Uh, the cover date was September 1981. The on-sale date was June 16, 1981. Had a cover price in the United States of 50 cents with a page count of 32, 22-page uh, story, 10 pages of ads. The editor was Tom DeFalco. The writer, of course, was Roger Stern. Penciler, John Lindley Byrne. Anchor was Vinny the Eraser Coletta. And I say the eraser as, as a tongue-in-cheek joke. I, I don't necessarily think he was as bad as many made him out to be. And we'll discuss that, you know, as, as we go further into this. Uh, the letterer was Gene Simak, and the colorist was Ben Sean. Now, this uh, has been reprinted, I think, a number of times, but most notably the essential Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 3. Uh, the cover was done, of course, by John Byrne, with inks by Joe Rubenstein. Can you even see anything of Rubenstein in that front cover, though? Uh, let me go back and look at my cover. I might say I wouldn't say I was familiar enough with Rubenstein to pick out what you're referring to, but uh, looking at this front cover, I'd swear Byrne inked it himself. You know, Byrne, now this right here. In fact, if we we'll look at the if, if we look at what came out that month, uh, Byrne had just put out his. He put out FF two thirty four. Yeah, his third FF. That was the man with the power, where you had the the, the normal sad sack guy who had all these mental powers and did not know it, which of course mm -hmm. was the issue leading into Ego, the Living Planet. That's uh, right. Yeah. The Marvel Superheroes number 377. Now, this is a British reprint magazine. And so that's not... Byrne didn't do any, any new work for that. And then there was, of course, Spectacular Spider-Man. Now, beyond that... And now I wanted to touch a little bit on what's going on in Spider-Man's world. Because I was sitting there going, well, what else was going on at this time? We had Amazing Spider-Man 220, which was the Moon Knight issue, if you remember the famous uh, Moon Knight coming up to the coffin with Spider-Man in the coffin. Mm -hmm. And that was a story by Michael Fleischer with art by Bob, Bob McCloud. And then Marvel Team-Up number 109, uh, which was uh, Spidey and the Dazzler, done by Dave Kraft, Herb Trimpey, and Mike Esposito. And then Spidey Super Stories number 54, Attack of the Birdmen. And that, that right there was a 36-page extravaganza, no ads, but nobody would take credit for the art <laughs> or anything. I think Al Milgram took credit for the front cover, but nobody would take any credit for the art, writing, lettering, anything in the story itself. Even on Mike's Amazing World, <laughs> other places on the web, I don't think you can find the credits for for uh, Spidey Super Stories 54. Now, well, this, it's... this is very late, too. I think there's only like three more issues after this before Spidey Super Stories closes uh, yeah. closes up. Well, it's funny that you mentioned David Kraft because he's one of the co-creators of The Ringer. Really? I didn't know that. Him and Keith uh, Giffen are the two that created him. Wow. And, it, gosh, how old is Keith Giffen? Because, you know, he's got such a footprint 
all throughout comics history that I just wasn't aware of. I wasn't aware he had uh, had anything to do with the ringer. Because my first recollection of Keith Giffen was from, of course, the Legion of Superheroes when he started doing the backup stories just before the Great Darkness Saga. But mm. he also did some action comics and other stuff where he was still not quite into his uh, the style that he ultimately came up with. Of course, what he did on Legion, it, it was heavily dependent upon the anchors, whether it was Pat Broderick or uh, Romeo Tangal or Larry Malstead uh, yeah. do, doing inks on his stuff. And just, of course, the Great Darkness Saga, if you haven't read it, it's gorgeous, beautiful storytelling, and it's a, it's a must for any reader. Uh, if, even if you don't like the Legion of Superheroes, that was a, a fantastic time because they created a perfect world, perfect universe that you could sit there and buy into. Everything about it was just stamped with this is the future, this is how the future is, and you, you just bought into it. Yeah. Um, I think I, think I I think I sent you the the Great Dark. I think you've given me you've given me the Legion. I've never and I need to read them. I've I've uh, I'll be honest, I don't own I don't I've never read uh, a Legion book. Well, I think I have some yeah. of the Legion Star Trek crossovers that came out a few years ago. See, I when I was a kid, um, you know, before I could sit there and get comic books with any regularity, I, I was able to get a lot of the Blue Ribbon digests and things like that. And so there was like my parent, we, we'd be on car trips going someplace, and we'd stop at a Stuckey's or some other roadside place where they had the spinner racks and they had the digest. And so I got. Uh, the Blue Ribbon Digest of Superman. It was the number one Blue Ribbon Digest. Number two was Batman. And so both those had uh, several stories, like five, six stories, and they were iconic stories of, of, of each character. I know the Batman one actually had the Joker's five-way revenge, which is probably one of the most famous... Uh, Joker stories? Yeah, Bronze Age uh, Batman stories, because it was like one of the very first ones to give him the whole Dark Knight detective look and feels Neil Adams on the art with uh, Danny O'Neill writing and so it was it was one of those first Dark Knight detective kind of stories just gorgeous gorgeous mm. art a great story but it does have one minor failing but I won't I won't I won't bring that up here except to say that it's like it's anybody that reads the story can kind of say yeah there's one little flaw <laughs> but anyway uh, moving on there was also another Blue Ribbon Digest that was uh, and there's been several that just like full of Legion stories and this is Legion stories from the early, early days. Now, John Byrne himself does not like the Legion. And it goes back to his earliest experiences with it. Now, probably when he was at, you know paying attention and looked at Legion, the guy that was uh, actually writing it was Jim Shooter. So that might have something to do with it. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the, uh, the early Legion stories are... are not, you know, sophisticated or anything, but they introduced some really interesting villains. I think Nemesis Kid was by far one that, that always intrigued me because his ability is basically to be as good as, uh, not, not as good as, but better at whatever you do. So if he's fighting Superman, he's stronger than Superman, faster than Superman, more powerful that's a, than Superman. That's a good power to have. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that the heroes didn't have good guys too there's duplicate boy who could duplicate anybody's power which i think actually makes him the stupidest hero out there because basically he had the power to be anything 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the, the oh the character in the first se- season of Heroes that could basically duplicate whatever. Peter Petrelli, yeah. Yeah, could duplicate whatever power, uh, but he could he could retain him, I think. Yeah, he was able to retain him for a while, and then they did something where he could only do one at a time. I one mean, at a time, he couldn't keep Siler, him. Siler messed with him, so he could only do one at a time. Because I think Siler stole his power. Yeah, well, I thought, I thought I thought the way Siler could take powers was both intriguing, intriguing and stupid. That he couldn't steal powers, but he somehow his power was he could understand how you created your powers, and by examining your brain, mm-hmm. he could somehow duplicate those powers. Because he was a, a clock uh, clocksmith. Yeah, he could, he kind of had a. He was kind of like Forge. You could kind of understand how things worked. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we'd be a little amiss not to, and I did a little research on this because uh, we'll talk a little bit about the the shadow that hangs over Vinny Coletta. Yeah. And I'd always heard, you know, I'd always heard, like you said, call him the eraser. I've always heard that people would complain because he would erase backgrounds and stuff. So I did a little, you know, Wikipedia research on him and uh, some people say he's not that he's kind of he's undeservedly being maligned that he's not as bad as people say he is he's kind of got a bad rap that he was uh, he was he was quick and efficient and he could make deadlines but because of that he would take shortcuts mm-hmm. and some some supposedly some artists would refuse to work with him uh, I, I, I've heard different stories that he didn't. He had a long run with Kirby on Thor, that. He, but it wasn't until he started inking Kirby on his new God Fourth World stuff that he's. That's where he supposedly developed the reputation for erasing figures and simplifying backgrounds to make it quicker, so he could get the job. You know, he can meet his deadlines. I, I read a quote so, from Byrne uh, about that that I, I found quite interesting, and it, it, I think it's one of those things that puts an accent on the point of what you're making here and he goes he basically says i enjoyed what he did on thor and new gods i can certainly understand why kirby himself would not though and and it basically says to me it's like you know as, as a reader you're not sitting there looking at going wow look at what's what's been erased you're just looking at the art going this is beautiful yeah this looks good i'm really enjoying this but only after the fact are you finding out, yeah, Vinny came in and erased this and erased that and he changed this and he changed that. But, you know, he always had instructions on, on certain things he had to do. Redraw faces. Even on this book here, Shooter instructed Vinny to redraw uh, a lot of the, the female faces. Uh, in, in the, in well, the he kind of started out, a, he started out, I think, as a romance artist. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why they maybe, or maybe they wanted to have a little more of a kind of a remedial look yeah you give it the house style yeah right Whew. wow well he um burn really had really hadn't had anything bad to say about him that he, uh, that he didn't you know he didn't have any of course i don't know if he's just being uh polite but there supposedly neil adams wouldn't were kind of refused to work with him and ditko didn't didn't think much of his work either uh but Coletta himself said that his, I guess his justification was that he couldn't hold up a book and keep the basically the presses from, you know, not working, you know, because 
he couldn't, you know, he needed to finish the work so he could pass it on to an anchor and a letterer. So, you know, and all those guys had to work too. So he wasn't going to keep them from putting food on the table just because he couldn't get his book done in time. So that was kind of, that was kind of his kind of a working man kind of a justification, I guess, for what he does. Like this needs, and maybe he thought of it as, you know, back then it was a little, the comics were a little more, they weren't held like they are now as being more artistic. I don't want, I don't want to take it away from the guys that did, but they were the guys that worked in the like the fifties and sixties were work, you know, blue collar workers, workmen that were just uh, pumping this stuff out, and they weren't like the kind of oh uh, the, the kind of auteurs that you have now that are that are working on the book. So it was, you know, this has got to get, we got to get this done and get it out and get it, get it to press so it can get sold so these guys you know can can do their job and they get paid too well i i found something that bob mcleod had said uh that he well let me let me just read this uh mcleod explains that back in the 60s through the 80s anchors had much more leeway to interpret and alter the penciler's original work and uh he provided some examples of uninked artwork from that era that were little more than breakdowns. I mean, very light breakdowns. The ink yeah. was expected to make significant changes. Now, today, McLeod says, most pencilers, in effect, ink their own work in pencil, so the inker's job is much more limited now. By today's standards, what Coletta did may seem almost criminal, but by expectations of his day, he was just doing what inkers did. Now, and here's the other caveat to all that, and this is just my opinion on this. When Coletta worked with a great artist, he didn't make them look bad, but when Coletta worked with a bad artist, he couldn't make them look good. Yeah, and well, and they, they've cited other, you know, uh, he wasn't the only one that that about art that inkers putting their own kind of quote stamp on mm-hmm. a book, and one example was Tom Palmer. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's it's one of those things I find funny is that um, I was listening to someone talk about. Uh, a book that was Neil Adams with Tom Palmer inks, and they said they thought they were reading something Byrne had done. And I just sit there and I look at it and I say, well, that's because basically if you read X-Men The Hidden Years, they were doing it in the same style that Adams and Palmer were doing it. Mm-hmm. The, the the Byrne Palmer formula was, it, you know, he was doing the same kind of layouts and, and all that that had come from that, that, that Neil Adams, Roy Thomas era, even though that was, what, six issues? Yeah. So I, you know, and, and Tom Palmer, of course, uh, when Byrne did Starbrand, he would just do very light breakdowns and let Tom Palmer just come in and do what what he does. And I think that was also uh, noticeable in the Silver Surfer one shot that they did together. So he. I guess, he, I, guess I, I guess that works if they've got that understanding from the get go. Like, look, I'm gonna kind of rough it out and kind of give you. Well, it's an like, idea that you can and you can finish it. It's like the Steve Ditko thing. You know, pretty much any artist that came behind Steve Ditko to ink his work didn't want to change anything. They didn't. You know, even Byrne mm-hmm. himself says he he you know had fears in, as far as as making any adjustments to Steve's work. And when you're working with someone that's got a history like Tom Palmer, you want to let him do what he does best. And, you know, he was as much responsible for the look and feel of those X-Men stories as Neil Adams was. Yeah. And so... I, I, like, yeah. I like Palmer's work. I mean, I, I think the... I mean, my dream team is, is of course, Byrne and Austin, but I love Palmer's inks over uh, Byrne's pencils. Okay. 
Well, that being said, let's. Uh, you want me to go and give a synopsis? Yeah, this, yeah. The synopsis is very short. I actually pulled this from the uh, from the Marvel Wiki uh, because it was succinct, but at the same time, it gave the story. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, ring out the old, ring in the new. As Peter begins the new semester as a teacher's assistant, the ringer breaks into the tinkerer's lab. Now, this, of course, was uh, from the previous uh, issue where Peter had broken up the, the tinker's latest uh, job. So the, the lab was basically being watched by the police or protected by the police, not doing a really good job of it. So <laughs> the ringer breaks in, trying to steal some of the new weapons to advance his own criminal career. He runs into another criminal who overpowers the ringer and takes him and a crate as part of a new plan. The other villain, of course, being in a trench coat because that disguises everybody. Meanwhile, don't, don't forget the hat. Yeah, oh yeah, trench coat and a hat. Hey, it could have been the thing for all we know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Peter spends uh, time in the TA's office where Marcy Kane, alien, illegal alien, gets back <laughs> at Steve for his earlier prank and shows off her new hairstyle. Peter makes up with Deborah and asks her out for dinner. That night, swinging through the city of Spider-Man, Peter's attacked by the ringer, whose armor's been rigged by the other criminal to measure Spider-Man's performance in battle. Spider-Man manages to fight off the ringer and slip away in enough time to make his date with Deborah. After their date is over, oh come on Pete, you couldn't stay all night? Uh, <laughs> after their date is over, Spider-Man goes back out to find the ringer and succeeds in finding him. When the mystery villain is satisfied that he has all the data he needs to battle Spider-Man, he causes the ringer's armor to malfunction, allowing Spider-Man to easily defeat the ringer and turn him over to the police. Later, the criminal, revealed as the Beetle, puts on what he sought as a, at the Tinker's lab, a brand new suit of Beetle armor. Stories continue next issue. Now that, yeah, that is short that, and to the point. Yeah, it is short and to the point. Uh, a, a couple points here, though. And this is, you know, you know Roger Stern was, was doing something with the, with the background characters that worked as, as teacher's assistants and whatnot at the school. So you actually got a feel for the professors and other people there. And one of them, of course, was Marcy Kane. And in issues leading up to this, uh, there was a, an incident where Steve, uh, one guy in there, one of the TAs, um, was keeping track of Marcy's hair because she would come in virtually every day wearing a different hat or scarf or turban or a beret or something, you know? And this guy was really curious about it. So he, in a previous issue, gets up on the ladder and as she comes in he pulls her headdress off to reveal that her blonde hair is not actually blonde hair that she's been wearing the wig or scarves or all this stuff to hide the fact that she had ruined her scalp with years and years of bleaching mm. and uh, Peter of course you know chases her down offers her uh, what sympathy and all that that he can and it was a very human moment and Peter Parker and Marcy Kane even dated some um, and, but then again, three years later, all this is ignored when Bill Mantelow decides in the Jack of Hearts miniseries that she is an alien there to watch Jack. <laughs> and so all this, all the human drama that we saw of Marcy Kane was completely ignored. And, and, and this is one of those things, it's kind of like the Manhunter uh, storyline that they did at uh, DC years later with, uh, what was that, Millennium? Mm-hmm, Millennium. You know, the, the where they retcon something so far back reaching, but 
as a reader, you know, reading all the way back, that there was no hints, tips, or anything along the way that gave up the fact that you know all this was set in motion a long time ago. And the the thing is, Roger Stern, as a writer, if you've read you know his Spider-Man stuff, you know he knows how to set up a great storyline and all that. And the the writer that did all this, of course, is Bill Mantlo. Bill Mantlo, who wrote Spider uh, Spectacular Spider-Man before and after Stern left. So I don't think he'd ever planned it, even back then. And it was one of those things he just decided, ah, Marcy Kane's an alien. You can do it. I mean, that's that's the the the, uh, the downfall and the freedom of doing a retcon. You can do pretty much anything you want. And what's great is somebody can come along three, four, five, ten years later and retcon what you've retconned and put it back or change it again. So... Uh, yeah. I know Peter Parker the, and I guess I never realized this when I read when I was reading the Parker the Peter Parker stories because mm-hmm. the problem with I've never reread this as a, as a series but the, you know the problem with the collecting is you're collecting the books as you find them mm-hmm. so you're reading them out of order you're not you know until you caught up until I started reading it as it was coming out but before then you you collect your books so you you might read an issue that's five or six issues before or after so you read them kind of here and there. And I've never sat down and read them front to back so that you, you kind of get the flow of the story. Mm-hmm. You get a sense of it because you're reading them all. So, uh, I mean, I read them as they came out, you know, from that point. Fact of the matter I, yeah, is, I did I, as, they, as they were starting to, but before that, it's like yeah, you're, fact, anytime you're collecting back issues. Now, the fact of the matter is, is while I have issues one all the way up through this, I have not read all those up until I, the, the one I was telling you that I started with, the Schizoid Man, 39. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got them, you just haven't read them? Yeah, yeah I've got them, I haven't read them. And, and, and the thing is, is that I always looked at Spectacular Spider-Man, you know, because I didn't sit there and think about this, you know, because back then when I was younger, I was picking up, you know, this, all the spider titles, and I was reading them all as they came out. But, you know, later years, I always looked at Spectacular Spider-Man as, you know, Amazing Spider-Man's weaker little brother. You know, I because I, shortly after this is when uh, Al Milgram took mm-hmm. over art and everything and you had the whole black uh, cat storyline in fact that was another thing I was going to point out is that the black cat storyline was going on in Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider- Spectacular Spider-Man uh, where she got shot up by Doc Ock's guys and and so she's in the hospital and then you know, he gets her recovered and then he reveals to her that he's Spider-Man and she hates him because mm-hmm. she thinks of Spider-Man as this glamorous guy not some down in those but she sees money. she sees Pitt Parker as being weak. She yeah. doesn't have anything to do with uh, his alter ego. He's, he's but, not the glamorous Spider-Man. Yeah. Right. Well. Well. And, 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 and all this was going on in Spectacular Spider-Man, and you know, again, it was Al Milgram art, which I've never ever been a fan of. And even the writing at that time felt. I mean, when I first read it, I didn't think of it like that. I was, you know, a, a teenager, and I was just reading Spider-Man and enjoying it, but. In later years, when I was looking back at it, I was going, it's almost kind of rudimentary. And that is is, is an insult to Al, because Al's actually, Al actually knows the the function of a, of a good story. He knows how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think that his artwork has ever been up to snuff on telling the stories. His artwork has always been better for a single cover. You know, he, covers. Can do he does great covers, award-winning covers. And that's where that's where he should have stuck, you know, his his talents. Because if you want, if you read uh, the Kitty Pride of Wolverine miniseries, 
It was written by Claremont, and it was art by Al Milgram. And I think the, the inks were Steve Leloa. So it's kind of like a similar team to what was on Secret Wars 2. Um, while the art wasn't pretty, it was it framed the story. It showed the story that had to be told. He was one of those guys that could work with Chris Claremont and and make the story make sense. Make sense, be cohesive and interesting. Whereas you get other guys like and uh, you know the thing is when Mark Silvestri started working with. Uh, Chris Claremont, he did not know how to do a sequential storyline in his art. He just knew how to do poster pinups of everybody posing, you know. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure other people disagree with me there. That's, you know, that's, that's their choice. I did not like when Mark Silvestri got onto the X-Men. But there were other artists who... I, I found that there were only certain artists that could tell stories working with Claremont that could make them flow and look good and work good and uh you when when he had a good artist working with him when you had like paul smith or john amita jr or, or burn or barry windsor smith you had people that had really good chops at sequential storytelling well and, and claremont stuff is always so dense that you know I, i'd always when you get that stuff every month you'd get it and you'd read it and you'd have to think okay now what happened last last issue because it was he was always had needed a little uh, like a refresher page right because he's because he was dealing with so many storylines in such a you know such a, a wide uh just dense just a you know, dense storytelling but I, right. I think you were talking about the art on either side of this uh well that jim shooter being the artist i think he was the artist in the previous issue and i think he's the yeah. artist in the next issue although it's funny is he's he's listed at least in mike's world as james shooter yeah. Uh, I think that's why I remember. Maybe it's because it's a burn issue, or because it's just a fun issue. But I think the reason why it stands out, at least in my mind, because it's kind of a, it's it's in the middle of some. I don't want to. I'm gonna call it mediocre art. The art's not is not great, and this just kind of stands out. Mm -hmm. uh, this beautiful burn art amongst those uh, the the other ones that are that bookend it. Yeah. But I think that's why it's so uh, rememberable. You know, the thing is, is that I, I Vinnie Collette has never done any other Burns work that I'm aware of. I couldn't as, find any more. As far as being an inker. And his, you know, the, the, the work that he's done on, on Thor and other things is, you know, the stuff of Legends. So is mm -hmm. uh, Joe, Joe Sinnott. But when I'm sitting here looking at the work that was done on this book, it, it, you know, there's half the time I'm sitting there going, didn't Klaus Jansen do this? Because, I mean, you know, the, the the first page, of course, is a really gorgeous first page for something so mundane as Peter Parker walking around the college campus. I love that zip tone I, I really miss that in comics nowadays. Yes, I, I, I'm right there with you. I love that. And, but now if you look at the side characters that are all about, and, and you know, I guess these are the ones where, where Coletta came in and redrew the faces because they don't, like the ones on the bottom that don't look like like typical burn characters the one at the very top right does Red well you know why the ones at the bottom don't right why those are Doonesbury characters you're kidding nope look at them <laughs> that's Doonesbury oh my gosh I you know the thing is I don't I don't read Doonesbury enough I know the, the look of the characters and I can see that but it's been a long time since I've taken any kind of long look at, 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 at that 
But uh, I love the, the, the half Spider-Man, half Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the zip tone all over the, the, the shadows there is really cool. And you can see, of course, the shadow of the guy that's about to run into him. But this, yeah, the, the first page is just, it's beautiful. And it, there's nothing, you can't say anything negative about it. I didn't really find any any fault with. Uh, he certainly didn't look like he had he had altered anything uh, as far as backgrounds or any kind of detail went uh, throughout this book. I thought it's it's um, it looks a little. I, I kind of compared this to his FF two thirty four where he inked himself, mm-hmm. and you could kind of see the difference. I mean, obviously, one's by one artist and one's by two artists, but uh, it's not uh, different enough that it takes anything away from this one. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. And I it mean, looks a little, I mean, it this looks a little, a little like earlier burn, like maybe iron fist era burn, maybe right. just a little, not that it, uh, um, I mean, I think the storytelling's nice. It's the backgrounds are nice. Um, mm-hmm. he's got that, uh, that uh, John Romita senior Spider-Man hair going. He's kind of drawn him the way, you know, Burn, uh, Romita always gave him that kind of little cowlick or whatever it is. Yeah. Almost like his Superman's spit girl. Yep. And he's got a blonde-haired guy here that doesn't look like Steve Rogers or yep. uh, any of the other blonde-haired guys that we're familiar with. Uh, he, he actually resembles kind of a Ken doll. Yep. But... <laughs> And I didn't realize this until I started reading on it. That, that is the Fool Killer. Yeah. Yep. And that is... I mean, I'm sorry. The Fool Killer to me is such a stupid... <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was a fool. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you know, you get to the next page, and... Um, I mean, again, these pages, for what they are, are kind of a little bit mundane in all the things they're showing. There's not action going on but again it is advancing the story and it's advancing it in a, in a good and interesting way um but you know so the the ringer comes out and he's looking at the place where the cops are just kind of sitting on their duffs enjoying their their time supposed to be guarding the uh, tinkerer's warehouse and then the, the ringer comes out and he does a magic trick <laughs> That's the first thing I think of is one of those guys, magicians with the rings. That's exactly which, what it looks like. And ding, 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 you know. <laughs> Don't you think the cops would have? Okay, this is a tinker's warehouse. They've seized it. Don't you think they'd remove the the evidence and store it someplace instead of leaving it and just having two cops sit outside the front door? No, this I is mean, this is you know Marvel's universe, late seventies, early eighties, and you know basically. The police have yet to figure out that they've got enough superheroes they need to have special superhero stuff. It's not until the mid to late 80s when everybody's like, when you get damage control, and yeah. you know, and DC of course has got their special crimes unit and all that, where they're actually able to sit there and deal with stuff like that. But this is still early enough, especially with New York being the grimy, gritty place that it is, that stuff like this, no, this all gets, you know held until someone else that's you know better like stark industries or someone comes in to to cart it all away to make sure you know it gets uh, disposed of properly yeah have you read the uh, the defenders uh what is it defenders 51 his first appearance 
whose first appearance? The Ringer's first the Ringer. appearance. No, I can't say I have. I, I tell you, The Defenders is one book I never really ever looked at. I've got several of them, and I've never read them. It's not... It's, I've read it. It's not... I know that, that J.M. Damatiste wrote some later, or some, I guess, around this time is when they, when he would have, when they had... Um, oh, who was their demon-type character? He wasn't the demon, but he was... Uh, um, but he was just... Gar like the, Gargoyle? Gargoyle, yeah. Yeah. And Iceman and uh, Angel were part of well, the this. Team was there. he fights. Uh, he fights like Nighthawk or somebody in a bird costume. I've, I've read it, but it's been a couple weeks ago since I read it. I can't. Yeah. It's kind of a lesser novella. And his his the original Ringer costume is horrible. It's not uh, <laughs> well designed. I don't think there's any Ringer costume that's <laughs> actually good. Now this one is as silly as it comes. Of course, Burn makes it look really, really cool, cool from here. Yeah. But, I mean, if you saw something like that in, in real life, you would laugh your ass off at this guy. Yeah, it looks it looks terrible. I mean, it's not as bad as the spot, but... Uh... No, 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 no. That's an Al Milgram creation right there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but, uh, yeah, again, shooting all these web, these rings basically from particulate matter mm -hmm. that he's able to create in the air. I, I thought that was interesting rather than him actually... You know, having the rings compressed somewhere and coming out. Right, I thought it was. I thought, I thought that was kind of intriguing. It's kind of the way Iceman makes ice by using all the moisture in the air. Yeah. Now, uh, but when when the other guy breaks through the wall, no, what were you gonna say? Oh no no. Well, I, I gotta go ahead. I've got a comment about that. When the when the guy breaks through the wall, which is really cool, that's at the point where you're wondering where the cops are. Yeah. You figured they would have heard that, but the guy comes in. He's got the trench coat. He's got the hat on. The, only, the, the other place where I've seen this particular outfit uh, popular was in the Justice League uh, comics of the, the 80s period. And there was a villain named Paragon. Mm -hmm. And he was just like that guy I was t uh, telling you about, Nemesis Kid. So that if Superman came there, he was stronger than Superman. Or, you know, basically he was, he was better than any, any hero. And so mm -hmm. they, had, they had to use, like, Wonder Woman's lasso and Red Tornado and... Uh, you know, green arrows, arrows to defeat him. It was it just one of those things where you know they had to make his powers work against him or not work on him at all because yeah. you know those weren't natural powers. Well, are we? Uh, I got a question since we since now we know that this is the beetle. We didn't yeah. know it was the beetle when we first came in. Right. Are we to assume he's wearing his power suit under the cloak because he doesn't have any uh, super power. super super strength? Yeah, it's yeah, just all in his exoskeleton. Yeah, he's wearing he's wearing the, the 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 parts of the exoskeleton he can without giving himself away. That the big uh, the, the big the fingers, yeah. the suckers, yeah. Which I, is, I have a soft spot for the original. I know, but I would have figured that by this time he would have already gotten away from that costume. But it shows this is where he gets away from that. costume. Yeah, this is his, his new his new look. So I guess, and I do love Burns' design if it's his design for the new Beetle costume because I think that's the artwork they use for his. Entry in Ohatmu is this uh, Burns drawing of it. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, on this page here, at the the top where the ringer is sitting there testing out his rings, mm -hmm. look at the burn tech behind him. And I mean, there's some really good detail on the burn tech back there. I mean, it looks like one of the greatest cappuccino machines I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell what that is. There's several things, uh, I guess, there. You know, maybe maybe they're part of Smythe's Spider Slayers or what. I don't know. It could be anything, any number of. Well, in the uh, 
what page is it? In the next page, where after he's knocked out the ringer and the 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 beetle is kind of reveling in his uh, quest for power, when he picks up the ringer, right behind him, there's some kind of burn tech or device that looks oh yeah so familiar. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's from uh. I don't know. It just looks so. That's like it's consciously drawn to look like something in a in a in an old um, sci-fi movie or something. That or maybe something from an early an early issues of the Hulk or or Fantastic Four. That could be one of Galactus's yeah, machines. Could, you know. Yeah, it could be something that's. Um, that's interesting. Go back a page though, and look in the ringer space in that middle panel. Where he's terrified. Yeah, that that, that is just hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that kills me. I mean, th- th- this page, again, you know, the, the storytelling here is, is really good. You don't even have to read the dialogue to understand exactly what's going on. Oh, absolutely not. It's, just, it's a great the way it's framed with uh, the close-up of the, the beetle, and he's got his arm, and he's, you know, he's coming right at him, and he's desperately trying to, I guess, shoot more of these constrictor rings around him. Mm-hmm. Because in this story, that he's in the original story, the ringer is much more confident. And he's fighting in the the defenders. In this, he's he's just a real sad sack. You know, he's already doubting himself as being a supervillain, and he's he was just had the suit made because he's gonna try to okay. I guess auction ask, it off. Let me ask you this: Did he go to jail from the the previous stories? It says so. Like, yeah, he said it said he had a prison doctor had to rebuild his face, had to rebuild his mouth. Okay, so so number one, he got tore up even before he wound up in prison. Mm-hmm. And if you are a supervillain that relies upon machinery and things to make you a supervillain, you're going to be somebody's bitch in prison. Yep. So I, I think that's all what has affected his uh, mentality. Once he that could that could be. He's just he's just got he's uh, uh he's kind of like PTSD. He's got yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. Now I don't know that Roger Stern was thinking all these things. No, probably not. When he put not. this together, however. Stern must have told Byrne, you need to make this guy look scared, scared, crapless when he's sitting there shooting those, shooting those rings. Because it, that, that, that is the look of a man that definitely is afraid. Yeah, and it makes you wonder why Stern decided to, maybe it was Byrne's idea. I know Byrne loves to kind of pull things from the past. Whose idea was it to bring this one-time use kind of two-bit villain uh, back, this could be anybody. He's just there as a kind of a foil for uh, for the beetle, for, for the beetle, and for somebody to kind of for Spider-Man to make like fun of. I mean, he's he's right. kind of like level the shocker or uh, the spot, as we mentioned. But hey, uh, we love the shocker. The shocker's the shocker's cool. The shocker's a little more confident, at least what he's we, doing. We got two shockers <laughs> for the price of one in Spider-Man: Homecoming. That's true. I, I really enjoyed that, and especially Bokeem Woodbine. I believe that's a soft spot for Bikini Wood by now as an actor. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, this guy, uh, that's the Beatle, they hit his face for no reason because we wouldn't have known who he was. Yeah, I don't know what that's the... That's the thing about secret identities. You know, you take any superhero that there is, and let's say you capture take a look at the face, you're going to go, I don't know who this is. Yeah, yeah, he's always cause he's normally wearing a mask. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, I, that actually happened in an issue of Flash once where a woman was able to control Barry and she made him take off his mask and she goes, huh. Oh, yeah, I who you are. You're not even that good looking. <laughs> you know, that was, it was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> okay, anyway, so he takes off with all that and then we see, 
Oh, the 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 on the like trailer, Spider-Man, the whole TV thing that they're just walking by. Well, the the Peter the, the Peter Parker books, I think, were a reaction to people wanting more Peter Parker, and they weren't yeah. getting it, I guess, in Amazing Spider-Man. So this focuses more on, as you mentioned earlier, some of the stuff looks a little more mundane because it's focusing more on Peter Parker and his. Yeah. You know, that's why I think he, they created such a, a kind of a rich uh, cast of characters around him. Right. So you know, may not have as much action, but you've got more. Which I think that's a, a a sign of a good character that if you can, if you if maybe say two thirds of your book is dealing with a character out of his uh, out of his mask, and it's worth reading as opposed to just the the action, then that's that's good writing and that's good that's good storytelling. What what did you think of of Deb Whitman in this whole run here? Well, this one kind of starts out where he's starting to date her. And, of course, like I said, from reading these kind of books here and there, not reading them sequentially, mm -hmm. I always knew that she was kind of this uh, lovelorn female that was kind of fell for Peter and things didn't work out. And then she eventually, I think, discovers his identity, and that causes her to have a breakdown or something. Yeah, yeah. She, to me, was, you know, that that girl that liked me but I didn't like back mm -hmm. and she was always there you know there, there was there was in high school and college or wherever there was always a girl like that and every one of them reminds me of Deb Whitman for whatever reason and so it's like I, I was sitting there and, and I remember the, the one issue where Peter is really hurt and he's just having a really bad time and he thinks Man, I'll just go over to Deb's and she'll take care of me and everything will be fine. He gets over there and she's got another guy at her place. Yeah. <laughs> I I always kind of felt they didn't quite know what to do with her until they brought you know Mary Jane brought came more into the uh, uh, decided to kind of really do something seriously with Mary Jane and then she was kind of pushed aside. So. Well, I I think she was in, intended for that all along because. It could be. It's not that she's homely or anything, but they made her out to be plain. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you look at any of the girls that they, you know, did Peter with, uh, you know, even going all the way back to Liz Allen and Betty Brant, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, there was always a glow about those women. And Deb Whitman was never like that. She didn't always have mm -hmm. a smile. You know, she frequently didn't have a smile. And you always wonder why did Peter you know, go out with her. And if anything, uh, the, the, the true answer is she was there. Yeah. Well, didn't they write her as having uh, an abusive husband? Oh, I don't recall. I think. I thought maybe that's when it was retconned later that, that he noticed that she had been, she had some bruising or something. Mm. That may be, may be later later down the line. but Yeah, I think that's probably later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I mean, she was she just seemed to be one of those also ran characters that just you know mm -hmm. was there to to fill a space. But I think it was more of an editorial decision. Let's bring this this person in until we can feel comfortable with who we're going to bring back as as Peter's you know relationship because is is permanent. Not yeah. too long after this, you know, Stern left Spectacular and went to Amazing. Mm -hmm. and teamed up with John Romita Jr. for about two and a half years of incredible Spidey storytelling. And that is when Mary Jane 
came back into the comic books full time. And then after that, David Michelinie uh, wrote the, the the later stuff that happened, where ultimately they wound up getting married. Right. Which Stern's Stern's probably my third favorite writer on of Spider-Man behind probably Lee and Jerry Conway, or probably my one and two. And I'd have to put probably Stern or Michelini as three and four, or somewhere along that line. You know, I. I, of course, the Lee Ditko stuff is, is right there at the top of my list. As far as the Conway stuff for me is that it gets too painful to read that stuff, to go back and reread that. Mm-hmm. I can go back and I can read the Stern run, I can read the DeFalco run, and I'm fine. But I go back and I read, you know, the, the whole Gwen Stacy, everything that dealt with Gwen Stacy before and after her death and the clone bit there, it's too painful to sit there and read because you just know what's going to happen now because the thing for for me is that when I started reading Spider-Man Gwen Stacy was dead now again I was picking up every Spider-Man book so I was picking up Amazing I was picking up Spectacular I was picking up Marvel Team Up I was picking up Spidey Super Stories and I was picking up Marvel Tales which was reprints of Amazing Spider-Man from from that period from the basically the point where Gwen Stacy gets killed all the way up through the uh, the whole Miles Warren storyline with the clone, the Jackal, mm-hmm. and the, the Gwen Stacy clone, and then the Spider clone, and which had one of the best lines ever uttered in a comic book, which is, how do you know you're you? Well, simple. <laughs> I, uh, far out. <laughs> and anyway, I'm sorry. I really took us off the tracks, didn't I? <laughs> Ah, uh, it's okay. But that was just because I was asking about Deb Whitman. But um, yeah. But here, you know, here we go again. Now, uh, at the top of this this next page that we're looking at, and this is Steve uh, with the full killer there, and they're splitting up. But you can see that they redid Pete's face. That definitely, Benny, you took a good swipe at Pete's. Yeah, face. it looks a little. It looks a little different. But the woman in the back, that's kind of a Glory Grant almost, uh, is a very burned female face. Mm-hmm. And yet, from what I understand, according to Byrne, Vinny's, uh, Vinny's instructions were fix the faces, especially the women. Well, and the, the, on the next page, the bottom right, when yeah. she's taking off her... That's not a particular typical Byrne face. That's, no. uh, that's yeah. almost Ramita. Or, it's just not Byrne. No. fact is, it's got a little bit of Kyle Baker... Um, softness to it you know yeah but uh yeah i mean again we're we're, we're doing the, the college ta stuff and it's it's good to see peter hanging out with actual people and being human though because um, i don't but, think how hr would feel about the professor shoving a uh, pie in another in a ta's face but i think he might lose his tenure over that but um yeah yeah, I don't know. Back then, no, but today. Back, yeah, back yeah. now, yeah, now there wouldn't be one. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, don't you think? Not so much in the on the pages on the right, but when you first see Philip in that lower left, he looks a little North Star to me, a little kind of uh, prototype North Star Namor. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think he's supposed. To, I think he's supposed to be Asian. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Now on the the next page though, when Spider Man is swinging around, are those not really Ditko esque poses? Oh, absolutely, especially that middle one. Yeah. 
where he's and that they the, actually the first two were very Ditko. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, wow, the ringer looks scared again. Yes, <laughs> he just. And I think it's so funny that I mean I guess reading this now we're so used to the Beatles costume. Yeah. But if we were to see this, thinking of his other costume, which I think was all green, wasn't it? It was green and purple. Uh, it was green and purple, but I, yeah. you know, I see green and purple. I think Lex Luthor. Yeah. Or the, or the Hulk, but you know, yeah. And or uh, neither, and it's definitely you know neither. Or uh, or Green Goblin. Um, that they keep, you know, they're. I guess this is really supposed to be. I guess at the time of reading this, is really supposed to be a, a surprise reveal as to who this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This guy is. Absolutely, and, and and you know, I mean, it, it probably. I don't know if there was any reader that was sitting there going, oh, "Who is it? Who is it?" You know, yeah. like it was Jr. or something like that. But it, <laughs> when you get the reveal, you're like, "Who?" Yeah. Oh, he's got a new costume. Oh. And, okay. The be the beetle. The beetle. <laughs> Beetle. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, and then on the next page, boy, Spider-Man's skylight got real small. I well, it used to be kind big. of faceted. Yeah, it used to be, this was just like a square pane. It used to be kind of faceted uh, when you would pop out on it. Yeah. And then the skyline below that looks a little... Uh, Colletted. Yeah, that, yeah <laughs> that's my note. That does not look like burn. That looks like... Uh, so I mean, just yeah, just drew some shapes. So that looks definitely like he might have taken his time on that. But what's funny is he's, there's uh, so much other detail on so many other panels. I mean, I guess you got to trim where you can trim if you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, but then the the next page where you've got all the rings coming at Spidey mm-hmm. and, and his reactions and everything. That's just a gorgeous page altogether, especially that first panel. Um, now, it, in in I have no problem. With the the monochrome coloring of everything behind him, to highlight you know his whole reaction to that. But where's his spider sense? I mean, it shows his spider sense, but he's not really. I guess he yeah he is dodging it. At, you know, yeah, he fact. says he's he's a uh, well because at first he doesn't think of him as a threat, and then he yeah. says my spider sense is buzzing, so these things are do present some type of a danger. But he 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 evades him pretty easily and just swings back around and then. That's when uh, you know he just the, the the whole joke with him plastering him into you know busting his teeth. I do like the way Burns drawn his the the effect of the ringers of the rings kind of generating off of his look almost like shock waves. I do like that effect. Uh, yeah. He's yeah. drawn them. <laughs> well, just... I I think the ringer is a kind of villain that that is just tailor made for someone like Burn to to highlight. Other mm-hmm. artists, other artists would have a real hard time doing this and making it look cool. Yeah. But you know, Burn, he's got uh, an ability with number number one. He's got uh, certain abilities with symmetry, as as far as symmetry goes. He can draw something forwards and backwards, and make it exactly the same just by freehand. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's something he... he's talked about on his website. Uh, and and but when you're talking about the rings themselves, you've got all different sizes coming from all different angles, and every one of them keeps their symmetry perfect. It's, yeah, it's, this is being done. This is being done today. This would all be done on the computer. Right. None of those. None of those rings would be drawn. They'd be all generated either Photoshop or some other type. Like I don't know how I don't know how they do it, but it would be. 
be so, so it wouldn't be hand drawn. Yeah, and that's the question: is it hand drawn or did he use a tool? He may have used a like a you know obviously it's okay if he uses a like a uh, a template to draw the circles. I mean I don't think that's. But it, it would be very hard considering the various angles he's doing. There's yeah. only one straightforward circle ring or, or two or three there in that might... top in that top. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything else is going to be from a completely off angle. He might be able. He he's probably has some. Uh, there are sort of curved templates you can buy that uh, that that probably help with just um, just getting the curve down. Yeah. You know, I, I think you know the, the the fact of all the rings kind of takes away from the beauty of the the panel on the middle right, where the ring you know ringers at the front, Spidey's at the back. And there is so much going on in that particular one, especially even with the shadow, mm -hmm. the building behind, all the rings flying about, and Spidey landing there, and <laughs> Spidey's <laughs> laughing at the guy, you know? And he's just going, it's not that funny! Yeah, he's just getting more aggravated. <laughs> yeah. Because, well, he's desperate because he has to fight Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's not taking him seriously, and he's just, you know, he's just kind of losing his cool, and then, then Spider-Man just keeps... Uh, you know, hitting him in the mouth every time he punches him. Yeah, this jerk is really asking for it. Great line, <laughs> great line. And now, did you find on the next page the panel where Spidey is stretching the webs and coming back to him? Did you find that without any detail, just uh, like jarring? The one where he's where it says sprung. Yeah. No, not really. I kind of knew what was going on. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, to me, it's jarring compared to the rest of the panels. That's all. And well, there's spring, no spring for some reason. It looks like it, it's it's wet. <laughs> you know. Well, his, his webbing is liquid. Um, but I love the way he hits him with a nice frap. Mm-hmm. Frap and, and... frappuccino. <laughs> mm. Then he gets in the uppercut. It's an, it's a then on the next page. It's a nice. Shot of uh, Spidey kind of jumping around and giving his acrobatic. Uh, you know, he's desperately trying to, uh, trying to hit him. Yeah, yeah I don't like, like. Yeah, like he mentions that he has to pull his punch. Because otherwise, you'd wonder why. You know, Spidey's one punch didn't just take his head off. Well, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you you wouldn't be picking up his broken teeth. He'd be picking his jaw up off the ground. Oh, and he's trying, but it's just a, it's just kind of a it's just a fun story a mm -hmm. sequence of him just beating the snot out of the ringer and he's not really he, in fact he just leaves you know yeah. he's like no I got you know I got to get to my date uh, and I, I and this this goes for you know you can't leave me now <laughs> no well, watch me <laughs> and, and the panel on the next page is a little. Did that look like burn? I don't oh. like the I don't like the highlights of the white on his costume, and it's kind of a distorted um, perspective. And wait, now which page are you talking about? It's or... uh very top where he's swinging by. And he says, "What a weird guy!" Because I got the impression yeah. that he didn't really want to fight me. Yeah. Well, you know, some parts of this look very burn, and then other parts of it just don't. The the bottom mm -hmm. panel, Peter, with that white background. It looks like it looks like Vinny definitely changed Peter's face, but, but right. he didn't What's change funny Webs. About, 
No, that's that's a very burned face for her, but yeah, yeah you're right. Peter does look different. Now, the, there's that guy up above that looks like Tony Stark today <laughs> um, with the, the goatee. And yeah, and I don't, I, that, you see this all the time. You know, we talk about this all the time at Burn um, issues. Like, is that, that's drawn in such a way, is that somebody? Is that meant to be yeah. somebody he knows or somebody Coletta knows or something? I didn't, that was my notes. Who is this guy? Well, is that Liz Taylor next to the guy? We only see the top of her head. I know. Oh, you can't tell. It looks yeah. kind of like her. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then there's Mariko and the Benihana. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wrote that up. Benihana's as it was so 80s. You know, it was, <laughs> and how could Peter afford Benihana's? Benihana's is not a cheap restaurant. Yeah, he's, uh, the thing is, it's, with Peter, it's always feast or famine. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> like he'll get a, a big whopping check for a couple pictures, and he's got hundreds of dollars burning a hole in his pocket. And he can he can do something like take her out to dinner, and then the next day he's eating jujubes from under the, the uh, couch. Because <laughs> he can't because he can't afford anything. Yeah. But then you know Peter's like, okay, well, he actually says, you know, meet me at my place in half an hour. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen at his place. <laughs> they're just going to have coffee. That's all they're going to do is have coffee. Have coffee, okay. But he goes back and he beats up on the ringer some more. <laughs> I like the I like his silhouette. The, the ringer's kind of running around looking for him, and then you see his silhouette of Spidey kind of jumping in, uh, one punch, and then he just basically, you know, destroys his. Uh, actually, he beats him up pretty good this second time around. He punches him in the face and in the gut, smashes him into a uh, chimney, and then breaks his little uh, uh, his little ringer gloves. Yeah. And yeah, and, and then uh, the the thing on his belt breaks and he's got that device or he's no he's sitting there pounding at the yeah he's like thing that the beetle put on him yeah he's trying to get it off because he knows it's gonna it's gonna uh it's gonna he thinks it's gonna blow him in half i guess and, and if this was written today if mark millar or someone was writing this today they'd make some comment about the guy playing with himself <laughs> or it would blow him up yeah does that bottom panel have a very klaus jansen look to it though the, the the whole panel where he's sitting there banging on the thing and then the buildings in the background. A little bit. The buildings the buildings kind of give it to me. It's not quite as scratchy as Klaus Jensen, but mm-hmm. um, the, that him pounding on his belt, looks that looks very burned to me. Yeah. But the rest of it, yeah, there is a little, there is a, a bit of a lack of detail uh, in the rest of it. Yeah, and then, of course, the beetle presses the button... Blows, and, just blows it up, you know, and then you... With a nice flump. Flump. <laughs> <laughs> then he takes the ringer in. The ringer's basically had it and, and you know, basically confesses and, you know... I thought the the whole Dennis thing was kind of a was kind of a fun through line that he was, you know, worried about his, you know... You know, he confesses and he says, I'll go to jail and just call me, you know, give me a good dentist. Man, if that's where I got to go to get a good dentist, I'm going to prison. <laughs> I love the whole police desk thing, though. Uh, I mean, that that looks like a, you know, it looks like the police desk from Superman the movie. It does. It yeah. does. The little flying man with big bright, red, red boots. Bright red boots. <laughs> bright red boots. <laughs> Get your hat. First round's on me. On me. <laughs> uh, I did find that last panel there on that page a little muddy, but I mean, it's supposed to be kind of with the webbing holding in place. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit, and with the lights, I guess these are 
I don't know what those lights are behind him. I don't know if those street lights are just lights. Yeah, but it, almost, is night, it is nighttime, and yeah, that's. It almost looked like he's got a, a a group of reporters out there flashing pictures at him. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I do like the, uh, of course, Peter invites Deborah in for popcorn, and he's he's making it on the pan, so he's making it the old-fashioned way, mm-hmm. or else he's got one of those Jiffy Pop things. Yeah. Uh, he's called his buddy Johnny Storm to light it up for him. <laughs> and then we see the beetle, you know, oh, we finally get to see who this is. And I do say I love the this last image of the beetle. It's um, Well, the, the thing is, this image of the beetle, if I'm correct, is in Ohatmu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this edition, is it. Second edition, because in Ohio Second Edition, if they could find a burn image of somebody, they made use of it. Yeah, why not? Uh, and yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. I wonder, did Burn design this look for the beetle, or did did? That's what I'm wondering. If somebody else, uh, I mean, at this time, Romita was he still art director? Who was art director? Uh, yeah, Romita was still art director then. I know he did a lot of uh, costume designs. Uh, even though he wasn't working on the book, he did a lot of. Uh, he would design a lot of the costumes, so I don't know if he did it or if. Um, I don't know who originally created the beetle. I know he showed up in, in the uh, Strange Tales, right? He's a he's a Human Torch villain well, from way I, back. I, I, but but he was a Spider-Man villain too. He was I mean, during I think the he Ditko, started... in the Ditko era, wasn't he? If, if I remember right, I am I not remembering started... right? I thought he started out in Strange Tales as a as a a Human Torch villain, and it kind of migrated over to Amazing. Let's see, uh... hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, that that one, that that's a that's a good one. Somebody needs to answer that. Somebody can. Somebody can. Yeah, answer it right. Just right into it. All right. You got any? Uh, Final thoughts on um, a couple, a couple. The ringer. Uh, I mean, it, it is a, as a one-off story. This is really good, but it also did have, you know, the the, the soap opera elements that they could mm-hmm. use different stories forward. Um, this was actually a, a win-win for Peter. You know, he you know beat the supervillain. He got the girl. He apparently got laid. Um, <laughs> you know, and he made a friend, the fool killer. But he made a friend. And <laughs> no, I mean you know there's nothing wrong with this issue, and it's a perfect example of Marvel at that time. And you know this it, it showed that the Marvel universe you know it, it, it had because I mean, like you said, the Beetle wasn't primarily a Spider-Man villain; he was around for others. Um, and then the Ringer was of course someone that fought others. So it just you could take from anywhere and pull together and this is one of those things that Marvel did in the 70s and 80s that was so cool that that I loved is that you know any any book could sit there and have anybody from anywhere especially if yeah. you read something that uh, Byrne, Claremont, Roger Stern um, and even Bill Mantlo to an extent you were going to see and, and Dave Michelinie was good about this too you, you, you could see these far reaching hands all across the Marvel Universe pulling things together and and giving you you know showing you that this universe is all tied together everybody's part of the, the yeah you can, you can anybody could be a, i mean i mean uh, spider-man fought doc doom in like issue seven or eight or one of the early issues he fights dr doom i mean that's i mean it's way out of his league but they're just showing that you can pull like you said you can pull from 
you know, you, it's it's a big playground, and you can use whoever you want to. I mean, I'm assuming they they can play with you know, depending on what storylines are going on. You can't say, well, he's you know fighting Spider-Man in this issue if he's doing something big over in another another book. But uh, that's what I, that's what I think drew me to Marvel when I first started reading comics was because one, it took place in like the real world, you know, New York and uh, actual locations, and you would have all back when you would have your editor's notes like so you know this character's in this book and oh well, check out these other issues and he was in this other book so like you said it was all connected so yeah that's one of the things I loved about about Marvel Comics over over DC because it seemed like you had your Justice League book and you had your individual books and the individual books rarely crossed over yeah uh, it, the only big exception back in the day was when the Flash killed uh, or when actually when Iris got killed in the Flash and the following issues had Flash beaten up on the Justice League as he was going through his denial and everything about that. Well there's a, a great little bit of crossover that I remember is in I think towards I don't know if it was in the middle or I can't remember where it is in Simonson's run on Thor at one point is it the Dark Elf? Somebody opens up the cask of Eternal Winter uh-huh. And so then, at one point in the Spider-Man book, it starts snowing. Yep. And I it's just a that. throwaway. It's like, oh, now it's snowing on me. Then you have the letters note. Well, see what's going on over in Thor. So that shows that you know what happens in one book has repercussions in another book. And I think that's just it doesn't have to impact that book, but it just shows that one, it gets you to go and read another book, so it helps their sales. Yeah. You know, but, you know what I, I think was one of those. Um, those great things that showed how everybody was was working together at Marvel and DC couldn't quite get together as well on this and not not everybody loves it but the original Secret Wars when you were reading Fantastic Four or you're reading Spider-Man or you're reading whatever X-Men or whatever there were all the different little signs that something was going on Spidey you know of course in, in those issues of Spider-Man, he had lost his spider sense because the mm-hmm. Hobgoblin had hit him with a grenade that made him lose his spider sense. Yeah. Um, Professor X was uh, at that point in a new cloned body and trying to learn how to use his legs again. And uh, in Fantastic Four, Reed was working at the machines, all of them in their own issues, but at the same time, the Beyonder... Just like sends a, 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 I don't know if you want to call it a scan or whatever, but he looks into our world, and yeah. all three of them have their own moments where holy crap, and they they all sensed it one way or another. Well, Spider- didn't they didn't they do that with uh, Crisis, the Red Skies, and that kind of? Yeah, but it, similar. It, and again, Crisis was the the best example of DC doing something all together. But they, they, they still had a hard time with that. You know, one artist didn't even know what Glorious Godfrey looked like and made him look like some fat, you know, te- televangelist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, the next issue, you know, someone else would get it right. You know, it was, and that was Legends, you know, excuse me. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, in, in Crisis, again, you're, you're dealing with every single book. And uh, it's supposed to be a change. And while not everybody was buying into it a hundred percent afterwards, uh, as they were leading up and doing things, of course, 
they only allowed it to affect so much. And if you listen to uh, the Scott Gardner, Michael Bailey uh, coverage of Crisis on Infinite Earths, I've done four issues so far. And they're probably for the finest podcast you can listen to if you haven't already. Um, the, they, they cover not just the, the main books, but all the other books that are mm-hmm. around it and everything that's affected in that. Now, I, I can't say that, you know, when Crisis is going on, that I was reading uh, every one of the books. I was reading the Superman stuff at the time. And, um, of course, they had a lot of tie-ins with that, with, the, of course, what went on with Supergirl and uh, that Superboy from Earth Prime, which doesn't make sense because Earth Prime is supposed to be our world. True. But, you know. Um, but that, you know, that being said, I, I still think that Marvel had a much better hand editorially on getting all their stuff together and touching together. And I think that, you know, even though a shooter at the top calling the shots, guys like Byrne and Claremont and others didn't have a problem with, you know, working with that because that's mm. the way the Marvel universe did it from the very beginning. Yeah, I think they had a, they had a an idea of doing a shared universe early on, mm-hmm. and they built on that instead of something that that they you know that started almost literally from the from the get go. So uh, it wasn't like that was something that they were. Uh, and I think maybe part of it is <clears throat> DC kind of built their roster of characters from other from like the, the Charlton books and some other books and that Marvel, they all kind of sprung from the same place and that DC was kind of, oh, well, they, we own these characters now, so we're going to bring them in. Yeah, they, they brought in the Fawcett characters with the Marvels and, and, and all that. They had, you know, Uncle Sam and all those guys. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, there was everything that Jack Kirby had brought into DC, which, you know, I mean, it was... You know, aside from Jimmy Olsen and Superman, you know, Jack Kirby comes in and brings in all this other stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the, the New Gods, the Newsboy Legion, um, Forever People, which is also part of the New Gods, Commandy, uh, you name it. He brought in so much, and it was all stuff that they'd never seen or heard of before. And, you know, again, you sit there and you look at that. Well, how does all the New God stuff touch earth why is earth its prime focus when you know actually their prime focus would be new genesis true as, as their enemy and yet here earth is in conflict with apocalypse and dark side and all that, especially today it's you know he is the the number one villain there man if, if jack were alive today you imagine what you think about all this <laughs> i think he'd uh, be happy with it yeah but again you know i'm, I'm talking about 30 years ago as, as far as what's going on today, I can't really say I've got a, a good handle on it. I just don't pay attention I'm, to that. I'm not. I'm the yeah, current uh, comics going on currently. I'm not. I, I picked uh, up the uh, Rebirth, uh, Superman Rebirth uh, trade paperback, and I really have yet to, to crack it open. I've heard it's really, really good. I, I read the Greg Rucka Wonder Woman, and it felt like a lot you know, some things of the, the previous stuff and then some other mm. things that I was just kind of like, do we really have to know this? <laughs> you know, I don't want to know about, you know, Diana had lovers on Themyscira. Okay. You know, they, they made the throwaway line in the movie, but they make more 
obvious comments in the comics that are just yeah. Yeah. And the latest thing I'm reading is uh, I'm reading the uh, IDW Star Trek Next Gen Crack Mirror, which is uh, mm-hmm. the mirror mirror. Again, they're going. They always go back to that well whenever they don't have anything else to do. But it's not bad. It's not. Well, the art's not great, but it's not bad. I remember, you know, Peter David's coverage of that, um, his book, which it, it wasn't really. It didn't seem like the mirror universe. It seemed like a different universe. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. I am getting his Q squared mixed up with the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. But I remember there was a mirror universe story, but it's kind of forgettable. I can't actually remember what they. They've uh, uh, Shatner does some mirror universe stuff in his books with Tiberius, the uh, you know his counterpart from the the mirror mirror story in his. Um, you know, I think the the person three four handled, book series. The person that handled the mirror universe best outside of the the original episode was Mike W. Barr in the, the, the Star Trek comic book that DC did back in the day with Ricardo Villagran. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the art wasn't especially that great, but the story was really good because, you know, he, he got in right after Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. and he had their voices down. When Bones talked, it was Bones. When Kirk talked, it was Kirk. And they, they kept having to re shuffle everything because each movie would change everything that you know he'd sit there written in, in, in right. the, the two years you know um, but you know they they found a way to work with it and still he had the voices down but the mirror universe saga was how they actually got Spock to get back to normal basically because the mirror universe Spock would get in there and he did a mind meld with Spock um, kind of fixed his brain well, now, it, it didn't just fix his brain, but it also had an effect on the Mirror Universe spot for him to realize, you know, again, supporting Kirk was not, you know, the brightest thing. Right. You know. And uh, it always looked like, like Kirk, that Kirk should be dead. Um, you know, after the first encounter, you know, Spock should have killed him with the Tantalus field. That's, I think that's how they, they uh, Shatter deals with it in his book. When he brings it back, that he somehow has prolonged his life, that he escaped. They explain how he escaped, and Spock kind of came in and took over. And um, well, in this, in the well, I don't want to spoil it if anybody's going to read the uh, what I'm reading now in the Star Trek stuff. But uh, I thought the Enterprise episode where they did the Dark Mirror, the Mirror Mirror Universe, was pretty good. Where they go, they deal with not only the Defiant and the Mirror Universe, where. They deal with the Tholians and the Defiant. Once it mm-hmm. it disappeared, that's, it went into the mirror. That's a pretty good two-parter or three-parter. Yeah. Well, that those last two seasons of Enterprise were really, really good. Good. And it was it was killed long before it should have. Just when um, it was just kind of getting up to speed, yeah. Yeah, and the the final episode is a work of art, you know. But it, again, some people don't necessarily like the very the, the very ending of it, and I can understand why. Yeah, but, but, I can see that. No, but, you know the, the the thing is, is that you know it's that right there is indicative of, of what we're a lot of what we're talking about because it, when we're we're going back to the well with John Byrne every month, you and I, mm-hmm. because there's nowhere else to go right now. I mean, yes, he's doing his Fametti, but he's never going to go back to that comic book sandbox, and I think we're going to just have to find a way of accepting that. Well, we're just but there's so much. So much of it to go through that. True, true. Um, but speaking of that, I think we need to do some more. We need to do some more burn trek. I want to get back into. 
Actually, there's two. For re- reading this, doing my research, there are two epi- two issues of Amazing Spider-Man he did that I want to cover sometime down the road. It's mm-hmm. got the, um, um, I think it's not the introduction, but it's it maybe the introduction of uh, Man Wolf. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There. Yeah. Those, those, those are. Well, what do you have? Uh, you got any final thoughts? We can kind of wrap this up. Well. You know, I, I think you know the the thing about this story, of course, is that it is it is a one-off. You know, um, Byrne had left X Men; he'd taken over Fantastic Four, but he hadn't moved on to to anything else yet, which you know, ultimately was the Alpha Flight. Mm-hmm. And you you can see, you know, like like what he did with Spider Man. You know, again, again, he's. I, I want to say he was art robot here. Roger Stern wrote the story, and he just came in and did the artwork, and he did a beautiful job on it. And I'll never, I'll never knock Vinny for the work that he did on this. Mm. You know, um, again, I, I've never gone out of my way to sit there and read all the Thor stuff. I've looked at a lot of the imagery from it, and I don't find anything wrong with it. Well, as they say, some of the Thor stuff that is is some of his best work. Mm-hmm. So it's. I think it's. It was later when he started doing Kirby's, which and apparently Kirby kind of complained about him when he was doing his New Gods and Fourth World stuff well, that did, did, got him taken off the book. Did Kirby complain when Senat was doing similar things to his Fantastic Four? No, and that's the thing that somebody brought up. It's like yeah. you know, Joe Senat doesn't get any grief over what he did, but they they go and blame Vinny. So I don't know what yeah, what the uh, double standard there is. Because if, if uh, you look at the Fantastic Four issue, that's, uh, the issues that Sinon does, um, I, I felt like that was a case of somebody erasing a lot of Burns' work. But that's just me. I know a lot yeah. of people really love his work. And uh, when when I look at his work, it, it, especially when Byrne was uh, doing, I guess, was it Marv Wolfman writing? I, I keep getting that mixed up. The early days uh, when Perez and Byrne were both doing uh, artwork chores every now and then, and I think when Galactus fought the Sphinx mm-hmm. uh, in, in those in those days in the Fantastic Four, Joe Sinat was doing a lot of the inking, if I remember, on, on a number of those issues. And uh, at the same time, Byrne was trying to keep with the style of the book as it was then. Yeah. Whereas when when he got the book up to himself. He changed the stuff. He changed the way the thing looks, uh, and, and of course, where Reed and, and and Johnny and all them look physically, so they'd be more like their their stereotypes. And, yeah. You know, Sue would change her hairstyle every so often and whatnot. Whereas with the previous, they had a static <clears throat> look about them that was, I guess, that was all uh, John Romita keeping that the, the the style and the style so, around. Yeah. yeah. And so George and John. And Bill Sienkiewicz and the other artists that came in and worked, they all kept that that similar style. But it also, even even with that, with the inks, it it took away from from Burns' dynamic appearance yeah. on the page. And that, that that's just me. I mean, there are other people that probably love that more than they love his later stuff. And if that's if that's you, that's fine. I got no complaint about that. It's just uh, that's it's. Yeah, there's a the, yeah, there's a the, there's a burn style for everybody. I mean, some people only like his classic stuff. Some people probably might like his his newer stuff, like Next Men and and even Beyond. 
some people may only like his Fumetti stuff. They may not. Some people may only like his writing. Well, I'll tell you, in the next couple months, I'm probably going to take a look at his work on Iron Man with John Romita Jr. doing the art. I want to. I want to 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 get a look at that, or maybe his uh, the work on the Hulk where he was just writing it. Mm-hmm. And, and was it Lee Weeks or was it Paul Ryan that was doing the artwork? Paul Ryan, I think. Okay, and in, yeah, I want to take a look at that and see if maybe I want to cover one of those on a on a future. Yeah, I think episode. it'd be nice we, to because I think the, we've covered the only thing we've covered so far that he is writer only was, and I'm can't remember our own shows. What did we recover that he was a writer on only and not the artist? Yeah, you're getting my memory too. This is how I know I'm old. Uh, so let me go back. Maybe we just t- maybe we just talked about it. But I thought we had actually done something that he wrote only. And oh, oh, I know. Uh, well, no, but I covered it on our favorites. I did uh, an Art Adams. It was at uh, oh, Action no, Comics. Yeah, you know? Action Comics. We didn't. I, I feel like we recorded something and then didn't do it. Well, we did that in our favorites, our top ten, yeah, our top yeah. five. Top fives, yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of, because Art Adams did the work on that. Right, right. Yeah. But everything else has been, yeah, everything else has been, yeah, yeah everything else has been Burns' art, own art. Art, and, art writing or art and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we uh, kind of say goodnight to everybody, do you want to, I know we're talking about doing a feedback episode, but... We uh we kind of got mentioned uh, somewhere online. You want to kind of tell? Yeah. Since you um, discovered it, I'll let you uh, do we, that. We got an email. Um, let me get this up here. We got an email from his name is uh, Ken. Is it Ken? Yeah, Ken at Heroic Times at HeroicTimes.wordpress.com. And he writes a blog, you know, about you know different comic books and such. And he did a piece where he was covering the uh, adventure, the uh, issues of the Avengers, one sixty four through one sixty six, which happened to be our very first show. Mm-hmm. And he put a link to us and said, you know, this is a this is a really good podcast that talks about exactly what I'm talking about here. And he also pointed out where he disagreed with us. And, of course, he disagreed with us, I believe, on the compression of the story. Because, you know, I wanted more story in art. I wanted more of this beautiful burnt art. And I felt mm-hmm. it could have been decompressed over maybe one or two more issues to, to flesh it out a little bit more. Um, especially today, it would have been like a 12-issue. It would have been a series. That, that, that covers the entire Marvel Universe. But, yeah, no, I it, it was just... Uh, that was one of the things I'd said. He disagreed with that, and I can understand his point. It's a perfect little story unto itself. Three issues, mm-hmm. beginning, middle, and end, and you can sit there and stop it right there. You don't have to continue it anymore. You can leave Count Nefaria right there. Yep. And that's that's a great ending point. Of course, they have a further ending of, Do- of Count Nefaria and Iron Man where they kill him, and then they have other endings of him in Avengers. I think Kurt Pusiak brought him back. Uh, during his run, I've got to yeah. re- reread that. that. All that with uh, with with Nefaria and Ultron and whatnot. Uh, the, the, and speaking uh, of uh, speaking of ends, before we sign off, we should mention that the Ringer meets his during the Scourge uh, storyline. He gets killed in the uh, Cap three nineteen, I think. Was that in the, the, uh, in the Barber No Name? Oh man, I tell you, that was such a messed up issue. 
I've got to say, I was not a fan of Mark Grunewald's handling of Captain America, but I did find the Scourge storyline to be really riveting and truly interesting. I, li- I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool, actually. Now, the, the John Byrne handled the Scourge better than anybody else out there, though. Uh, in the issues of Fantastic Four and the other issues where he showed him. And then Marvel Fanfare 29, if you haven't read that. Uh, that's uh, that's something I'd also like to cover sometime in the future. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's one where we need to bring in a couple of guests because it's such a special issue. It's all splash pages. Have you read that? I have. It's been years, but I, I've got it, and I, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, the, the, the biggest argument is where in this Hulk storyline does that take issue, place? Does that take place? And uh, you know, well, that that's that's going to be a, a good subject for discussion. Um, but yeah, we'll have to we'll have to do that uh, cover that sometime in the future as well. I've got that on my list of things I've always wanted to cover. Okay, cool. All right, uh, you got anything else? No, I, no. Th- I think there's one uh... there's one thing else that I've got, but I think I want to hang on to it until we cover another X-Men story or a Wolverine story or whatever. You know, that's okay. one thing we've never talked about is the Wolverine book that he worked on with Archie Goodwin and Klaus Janssen. And, um, but there is a, a storyline that before he left the X-Men that he was planning on doing, which would have brought a resolution to his relationship with uh, Sabretooth. And it involves, it involves Marika, of course. Oh, interesting. Um, so, yeah, definitely save that for we we get into a more of a X Men centric, Wolverine centric, uh, storyline. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you guys think? Can you tell us what we're doing right or wrong? I'd like you to send us an email here at gotta get burned at gmail dot com. If you need to know how that's spelled, you need to go back to school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the out. It's up in the outro too, but you know. Yeah. Or right. mention, mention mention us in your blog if you want. Yeah, you know, we're we're happy to get any kind of press we can get. Yeah, and uh, please, you know, respond to us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. It's got like thirty-seven members. We'd always like to add more to it. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe we'll give you something uh, something special that we're not giving to anybody else. You know, maybe we'll show you some uh, commissions or something that you're not seeing on the other uh, burn fan groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get in, ask you for input on what we're doing here, because you know we're always looking for an idea of something different, unusual, yeah. or, or whatever. We'll take um, a poll to see what we're going to cover next, maybe. Oh, and to whoever asked, I don't remember who it was. Um, I had posted a picture from the Star Trek uh, 50th anniversary convention from Las Vegas last year of John Byrne and Chris Rael from IDW, and several or someone asked if that was me. With Burn, it was actually it was actually the editor at uh, IDW Comics, Chris Rael. Uh, you should you should said yeah, it was you. <laughs> and if uh, if you're interested in, in him at all, he actually did an uh, episode of the Treasury podcast over on the Fire and Water Network, where they covered nice. a, a giant sized Spider-Man spectacular issue, I believe. But you can find that over on the Fire and Water Network, and it's a uh, it's it, he actually was no, it wasn't Spider-Man, it was. Uh, Close Encounters of Third Kind movie ad- adaption. Okay. And of course, that was a Walt Simonson uh, thing because Walt, Walt was doing all those movie adaptions back in the day. Didn't he also do uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? He did do Raiders. And you know what? Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, movie adaption issue one also came out the same month as this issue of 
spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, cool. I've got the big treasury. I don't have the individuals, the small ones. I've got the big treasury, the Marvel Super Special. Right, and that, yeah, that came out. Now, the, the the interesting thing is, like, this was an awesome month uh, for these. And you might want to put this up front of, of, of this podcast when we're talking about what's going on this month. Because I'm sitting here looking at this month, and I'm going, wow, the amazing things that happened. Daredevil has, uh, of course, it's Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, uh, 174, where Elektra, Daredevil, and the Gladiator are fighting against the hand. Uh, X-Men was uh, Dave Cockrum, uh, Claremont Story, 149, where they're basically getting ready to have the big fight with Magneto. Mm -hmm. But I believe that Storm and Kitty and one other are going to fight Garak, you know, from the Savage Land. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Avengers 211, the Old Order Changeth. Everybody's coming in to become an Avenger. And uh, this is when Hercules and Wonder Man meet for the first time. And for the first time that I read a comic, Hercules says, Have at thee. <laughs> Which is one of those great things. Um, but also, uh, the same month, we had the premiere on TV of the Spider-Man animated series and Spider-Man and his amazing friend. Because uh, they ran both of them uh, basically like one over one to the other every other weekend. Oh, okay, I thought they ran season one and then just another season. I didn't know they ran concurrently. Yeah, they they did them concurrently. But uh, we also had uh, Spider-Man Annual that came out. Uh, we already talked about Fantastic Four two thirty four. Iron Man went number one fifty. That was uh, Doctor Doom and Iron Man going back to Camelot. Which is uh, John Romita Jr., of course, David McBurney mm -hmm. and John Romita Jr. Great, great storyline there. Uh, we had Nomad show up on uh, Captain America, and it wasn't Captain America dressed as Nomad. I think that was uh, that was the Silver Age um, Bucky, Jack Monroe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she Hulk 20. I'm trying. I'm just trying to find books that I that I read and familiar with. But there's a lot of stuff that came out. Yeah, Raven's Lost Ark, and uh, Marvel Super Action was reprinting Avengers from. Uh, this is the time when it was all the Zodiac stuff going on. If I remember oh, right. nice. Yeah. So I, I mean, there was just a lot of really really good stuff, that uh, just a lot of fun in the Marvel universe at this time. If you were, it was a great time to be collecting comic books back then. Um, Let's see if I see anything else that's grabbing my attention here. Micronauts was out. Masters of Kung Fu. Rom. Well, while you're looking at that, I want to do a little plug here. Uh, there's a podcast that I've been listening to recently called Saturday Morning Sleepover. I think it's Saturday Morning Sleepover podcast or Saturday Morning Sleepover. And they care, they cover like, you know, they're two late 30-something guys that cover the kind of movies they watched at Saturday Morning Sleepovers or, or Saturday Night Sleepovers. Excuse me, not Saturday Morning, but Saturday Night Sleepovers. And they recently did one on Spider-Man 77, which is a TV show, and they cover... Uh, was Hammond the show? Mm-hmm. Oh, and wow. they cover... Uh, and they give a little background on mainly that show, but also the, the Japanese show and some of the stuff in the comics. And uh, it's, a, it's a real fun episode, so I, I want to recommend that. If you and Plus, the podcast in general is nice if you like uh, those kind of 80s cult kind of uh, films. Yeah, you know, it's funny uh, what I what I found out about that Spider-Man TV show. Um, she wasn't called Glory, uh, but uh, there was Jonah's secretary was, was a black woman, 
Mm-hmm. And the actual uh, lady that played it was Chip Fields. Now, she's the mother of Kim Fields, who played Tootie. Oh, on Facts of Life. Yeah. Interesting. And it, I just thought that was, that was one little interesting nugget of, of information. I'm sure most of you are going, who? <laughs> no, they know that. But if you're from our age, you know, yeah, you know who Kim Fields is. <laughs> anyway, yeah, she's on Battle of the Network Stars this year. Oh, nice. Her, her and Lisa Welchel. Now, Lisa Welchel, if you don't know, uh, Blair from Facts of Life, she's from Fort Worth here. Oh, I didn't know that. She's from your side of town. Yeah, she she just lived like a hop, skip, and jump from from where I live. Um, I mean, I'd say I'd say within five miles, not that not mm-hmm. that close, but you know. But I never, I never actually met her. But I wasn't looking for her, or stalking her, or anything. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I think that's just about everything. Uh, I think that's uh, if yeah, you I can, think that's if you, if you'd like to give us a review on iTunes, we really, really need a positive review on iTunes. All the negative ones are just killing us. <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't, we don't actually have any negative ones. I think we're all. All but we're all positive. positive. Yeah, There's all, nothing positive. There's like, nothing but positive stuff to say about us. Yeah, but and I, if you could just give us a, a review, because that gives us, you know, uh, exposure out of a little more exposure. Yep. And all right, I think, uh, and if you're going to buy anything uh, comic related, like anything we mentioned in the show, go through Two Two Freaks and take their Amazon link, because mm-hmm. they will get a little tiny little cut of what you spend there to kind of help us keep these shows going. And we need it, <laughs> especially if we're all going to get together next year. We need, we need that. <laughs> uh, 2019. Yeah, well, that's right. It's 2019. Yeah, so we have two years to save. <sighs> I st- I, I'm going to have to start a GoFundMe account because I'm not going to be able to make it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tim, thanks a lot. Uh, all right, I, thanks, I, Brian. I uh, always good to talk and uh, spend some time talking about JB. So uh, and we until promise, next time. We promise. Feedback issue coming right up. I don't know how close up is, but it's coming right up. It's, it's, it's like that commentary we keep promising people and haven't delivered that either. But I got free time this weekend. That, that'll that'll that, that'll that'll show up. Trust okay. me. We got some other things cooking too. So. Yep. 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 All right. Yep. I think that's. Uh, I think we can sign up, Ryan. I think that's enough. We've done a about a three-hour show, so that's enough. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! I can't believe it. All right. Well. <laughs> It's a it's a Monday night, so I gotta get to bed. I know, me too. Thanks a lot. Adios. Have fun. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at two two freaks dot com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing if you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the amazon link to shop this doesn't cost any extra but it really helps support the shows until next time this has been third degree burn